I've been on the front lines of trying to get, you know, merchant adoption going. And and the truth is in that most developed countries, at least, um, you know, people don't have a very strong desire to switch what form of money they they want to use because there isn't a really big need for it unless you try to explain to the monetary theory and the and the evils of central banks but that's 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 a difficult thing to convince someone of instead of you know get uh, uh, presenting them an application that is that is really useful for them to use this week on monero talk is sponsored by cake wallet Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. Cake Wallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. And by Stealth EX, an instant exchange where privacy is the top concern. Go to stealthex.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making Stealth EX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or Cake Wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Justin Bonds, a crypto researcher and investor and founder of Europe's oldest cryptocurrency fund, Cyber Capital BV. The two discuss Justin's background, how his initial take on crypto evolved, the power of proof of work, separation of the monetary system and the state, which utility is more important for adoption, digital cash or store of value, his critiques of Monero, why he thinks BTC is destined to fail, and much more. Monero Talk starts now. All right. Justin, welcome to Monero Talk, man. Welcome. Thank you. That's a, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with Monero Talk? Have you ever come across our stuff? I'm just, I'm just curious how, how good a job we're doing or... I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have to be honest. I, I haven't spent a lot of time listening to uh, to this podcast, but there's, no there's a lot of great podcasts that I'm missing out on all the time. So please don't take it personally. No, absolutely <laughs> not, man. There's way too much information out there and way too little time. Right? You got you got to be careful with uh, where you allocate your time these days more than ever. Indeed, but I have found sometimes I've actually spoken on podcasts. I'm like, oh, that's a really good podcast, and then I start listening to it because I'm a pretty avid podcast listener. It's it's a great way to just you know learn on the move while while doing yeah. things, you know. Yeah, maybe maybe we have one of those moments here. Do you do you have what your do you have a podcast as well? I know you're. I don't actually. Interviewed quite I, often. I don't. I've I've been mainly just um, on on other people's shows uh, for for the most part, and that's that's worked out for me uh, so far. I I do a spaces every so often, but that's uh, that's not quite the same, obviously. Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind, if you could quickly kind of give an intro of yourself, like who, who is Justin Barnes? Sure. Uh, uh, if you hear a background noise there, that's my cat. Unfortunately, he's trying to get in, but I don't want him to mess up all my. All my equipment here. No worries. Um, yes. So, sorry about that. Um, sorry, it's a little bit distracting. So, uh, so I've been a cryptocurrency researcher for uh, about a decade now. Um, been full time working in this space, and, and as part of that, I also set up a uh, investment fund. Wow. Um, and the investment fund is very much focused on fundamental analysis. 
So we're really, you know, trying to make long-term investments um, based on really the underlying merits of a cryptocurrency and also understanding um, and, and I think maybe thinking a lot about some of the big questions in the space, some of the big debates. And I think, you know, how you answer those questions, um, I think say, can say a lot about a good long-term investment portfolio. So I think of myself primarily as a researcher, um, but I suppose I'm also, you know, a, a investor as well and a critic. Did you have a background in this area before you got, you know, actually started looking at crypto? Were you, you know, a dev? Were you a, a finance guy? Were you uh, a liberty-loving money guy? Like, what was kind of your background before you even found crypto? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. Um, I actually have a background in the uh, humanities, so okay. maybe liberty money guy, if you will. But but uh, I, I went a little bit deeper than that. I, I actually have a background in, in political philosophy and uh, and history. And, awesome. uh, and that's not necessarily the obvious choice for, you know, being a researcher in this space, but I actually found it fills a particular um, void, I think, um, in terms of expertise. And especially when I first got involved in, in cryptocurrency around the time of the block size debates, um, I, uh, I found it. I, I found that the question started to revolve around, um, you know, how do we decide? Um, and, and I felt that was really in the purview of, of political thinking. And, and philosophy and, and philosophy obviously allows me to think critically as well. And, uh, and I think that's very, very useful. I'm surprised to hear. I, I mean, obviously, I, I'm not surprised for that aspect of it, right? You, you certainly bring that to your discussion, but you also seem to have a very good handle on the technicals, uh, which, which is not easy. Um, well, so, thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I have always... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, where does that skill come from? Is that that's just something you, you've had innately? Um, well, I've always been a... a fairly technical person but i was never a computer scientist or or a coder or anything like that i've i've always liked to you know work with with hardware and computers and um think about these sort of things but i think having been doing this for for 10 years full time as a researcher and also having you know computer scientists inside of the research team as well and uh spending you know a lot of my time learning about these things i've uh i, th I think that's just something i've i've gained over time um, and I also find that, um, at least in terms of my background, like I, in terms of how I look at cryptocurrencies, I need to understand what the rules are and like what the impacts of those rules are. I don't necessarily need to know, you know, the finer detail of, of how that's implemented or how that's coded. I just need to know, or at least have confidence in that it works in a particular way. I think we're we're similar in that respect. And I think we also got in around, you know, started looking at this around the same 20, 2013, 2014, right? Early, early yeah. 2014 is when you really started looking taking a close look. Yeah. What well, you know, uh, kind of what was your initial if you could kind of go back to that time, what was your initial take on crypto and has it evolved since then in terms of, you know, what you thought the value proposition was when you first started to really understand this? Has that evolved? And yeah, what was it originally? No, sure. No, I'd love to get into that. I think it, it has evolved and it hasn't in some ways. I think initially, initially, I think I actually first came across cryptocurrency around 2011 mm -hmm. or 12, and I somewhat rejected it, not really understanding enough about it. I'm like, okay, no, no, this is a scam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I came across it later and, and it was explained to me a bit better, especially how proof of work works actually. It was actually a key 
element to, to understanding that that the system actually made sense and and then it really grabbed my attention and then I was like wow this is this is actually what I've been looking for 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 a long time it's it's a it's a very powerful technological tool that also allows us to do new things uh, politically and and economically and I think you know for me and also being more on the libertarian side of things as well um, and and thinking that you know the idea of the separation of the monetary power from the state of that actually being a fairly good idea you know uh, analogous to the uh, separation of church and state right historically mm-hmm. um that that i felt like that that was the big idea that i think i really fell in love with and censorship resistance and privacy and uh you know immutability and uh, credible neutrality and um you know all, all of these wonderful attributes and and i should say economic uh freedom you know and, and all of these wonderful attributes is what i really fell in love with so i suppose i was part of that uh, libertarian wave um i i think there's different waves of um and i think we, we might have that in common then different waves of demographics that came into cryptocurrency at different times and you're not bound to it but but there is a statistical uh, average there you're not from the the 2017 number go up class you're you're, no, you're no, the no, earlier no. uh libertarian right. class yeah. Yeah. um so what would you then, what would you describe as the value proposition of crypto? Like what was the breakthrough? What, what can we do with cryptocurrency that we weren't able to do before? It's this separation of money and state or how, how yeah. would you? Well, I think, I think um, so there's, this, there's multiple dimensions to this. And this is one of the things that makes cryptocurrency so interesting. Because some people want to say, no, no, cryptocurrency is a store of value, right? And some people say, no, 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 cryptocurrency is a uh, digital cash. And I think it's very important to understand that it's actually both of these things and that it, that it needs to serve as both of these things as part of what makes it so economically profound and useful as well. Because, uh, you know, um, a good medium of exchange also, you know, is, serves well also being a good store of value. On top of that, I would also add that, um, so I, I would say I would three things primarily. So uh, digital cash or money, if you will, um, a store of value. And the third thing is also could, it should serve as a platform for decentralized applications. And that's, that's those three um, aspects of a cryptocurrency is, is what I think it should be able to do in, in, in the broadest uh, sense of the word. And that's, that's to me is really the goal. And do you see different cryptos serving those different use cases or, you know, one cryptocurrency will, will do all those things well and will need to do all those things for it to truly be a you know a winning cryptocurrency yeah i'm 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 of the uh what still seems to be a controversial position that i think uh, at least when we're talking about a base layer cryptocurrency a layer one cryptocurrency such as monero such as ethereum such as bitcoin i think they all need to be able to do all three in a single um in a single network because I think it's technologically possible to do that. And if it's technologically possible, uh, while preserving decentralization, of course, then I think it's desirable. And, uh, and, and, and that's why I also refuse to say put Bitcoin and Ethereum into separate categories, because I think that's a way of really escaping the competition, so to speak. Yeah, um, we, we look at things very similarly. I think you more so from an Ethereum perspective, me from a Monero perspective, but both viewing the space very similarly. 
Um, although I, you know, something like with Monero, I, I think you know the focus is on the digital cash utility aspect of it, and then maybe those other things, uh, you know, naturally arrive organically uh, as as the protocol evolves. Um, do you look at it that way at all? Like it needs to do, you know, digital cash correct first and then do these other things, then become a store of value, then start, you know, uh, getting fancy with smart contracts or uh, you see them kind of all happening together at once? Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. And I think up till now, we're, I think we are in full agreement, having been part of that uh, 2013 wave, if you will. Um but I think maybe here is where I divert a bit, and as as my thinking has uh, has evolved, um, I, I used to think digital cash was really the the primary use case. I still think it is actually. I would still say digital cash or money. I still think that is the main use case. But I'm not necessarily convinced anymore that that is how that that that's necessarily the path to adoption. I'm starting to think, or well, I have thought for a while that. Um, Actually, things like smart contracts and a lot of the things we see in DeFi um, are, um, are are attracting a lot of adoption and a lot of things like DAOs and, and, and all of these sort of things, that these sort of things will bring adoption and will bring um, people to the network and you know give it more use cases that are more compelling now. So I'm starting to think actually that that, that is how uh, that will come first and then the money... Um, it being widely adopted as money will come later. You know, I've been on the front lines of trying to get, you know, merchant adoption going. And and the truth is in that most developed countries, at least, um, you know, people don't have a very strong desire to switch what form of money they, they want to use because there isn't a really big need for it. Unless you try to explain to the monetary theory and the and the evils of central banks, but that's 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 a difficult thing to convince someone of. Instead of you know get, uh, presenting them an application that is that is really useful for them to use. And I know I'm on on Monero talks right now, and there's mm. no touring computer. No, my my blood pressure is starting to go up a little bit. As <laughs> <laughs> and I and and I'll, I'll just caveat as well. You know, I I actually think Monero is really cool, and and I love what you guys are doing for privacy. But and 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 no cryptocurrency is perfect. I mean, I'm also have become more critical over time of even Ethereum itself as well. Um, and and I think all cryptocurrencies, when I look at them, are missing certain features. And some have some, and some others have others. And uh, so, yeah, I, I would love to see Monero implement something like that in the future. And and I wouldn't say that is uh, beyond impossible for that to happen. So, I mean, convincing the wider community, of course, would be, I think, would be the greater challenge there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think that's interesting to hear. So now, now, you know, you, you make more sense to me as as to what you represent. So you do see it like the these these DApps being really what drives um, adoption, and then you know, money use case maybe evolves from that because there isn't this great need to go use a cryptocurrency when you can use your credit card, when you can use yeah. Venmo. There is, there's not like this 10x increase in usability yeah. uh, when you move over to a crypto. But this is where I guess where I would start to diverge as well. I would like to get your, your opinion. So how about like, you know, Monero uh, focusing on being digital cash first has seen organic adoption take place in areas where there is really that, you know, that 10x increase in 
um, usability or uh, value, right? So like if you're on a dark market and you're a vendor, it makes all the sense in the world to use Monero to buy things and to use Monero for purposes of, of receiving payments as a vendor because you get a lot from that in terms of value, right? You're there's less chance that perhaps, you know, uh, a state can 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 catch you, can take away your Monero, can put you in jail uh, for for you know uh, participating in free and open commerce, right? Whether or not you agree with what they're doing, uh, there is that real need that's met with Monero. How do you look at that? Do you just see that maybe just that then as a niche thing that doesn't grow in that doesn't gain larger traction? I'm, I'm curious how how you view that. Yeah, I think that's correct. I, I would see it as more of a niche thing, uh, not to downgrade it all, because I think it's really cool. <laughs> like, it's also really like it's serving a really important purpose. You know, uh, there's been a bit of controversy around around um, in the Netherlands recently with the one of the Tornado Cash uh, developers um, mm-hmm. being being put in jail here, and and six months later, we still don't have clear charges against against what they've done there. So so I think I think Monero is serving a, a really important purpose and and serving people in a wonderful way. And if that's all it does, then that's then that's great and fine. And I think that's 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 wonderful. Um, but I think. Um, that's a niche, and I think to to grow larger than that niche, I think you know, um, you know, having things like DApps, I think would be very um, w- would help bring more adoption to to Monero, I think, and um, you know, um, yeah, I, I, the, the, there's there's a few really there's a bunch of different interesting aspects to to Monero's design that that maybe I'd love to talk to you about as well. But yeah, yeah definitely, I'll, definitely, I'll, we'll, get, we'll get into it. We could. Um, we could jump over to you know basically the big question why you know this is where i think maybe we we agree most why why is bitcoin destined to, to fail <laughs> which is you know a bold statement sure. um you know I, I i i try not to say it too much because i think you know you you quickly can lose credibility among a lot of people where they're like well if this you know i'm not going to listen to this this guy he doesn't even think bitcoin is is here to stay uh so but i oh, Ultimately, I do agree with you on a, a, a basically your take on Bitcoin and where where it is failing and how that could lead to it essentially becoming irrelevant. But let let's hear it from you. You, you sure express, sure you express it so well. No thanks. Uh, let, let, let's not. I, I've discussed this ad nauseum on on a lot of other platforms I'm as sure. well. So I think it'd be more fun to discuss Monero and, and some yeah, of those we'll get into Let's let's hear but, that. But but I, I, I will give it the the, the short version. Um, in in regards to what you said though, in terms of um, losing credibility, in my eyes, people that say that you know, at least most people that that think that Bitcoin is the best thing ever lose a bit of credibility in my eyes. So mm-hmm. that's there. There's a perspective thing there. Um, I agree. So I think that, that the long-term security, well, there's a bunch of problems with Bitcoin. I think it lacks capacity uh, for a start. And this is all the result of the block size uh, period of the block size debates where um, Bitcoin was pretty, was very dramatically changed by not increasing the block size limit as was initially planned and laid out by Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder. And, you know, this very much perverted the uh, economic uh, model and security model of Bitcoin. And this is because of the halvening. So every four years, inflation uh, halves. And uh, over time, um, that means less and less uh, Bitcoin is actually being sent out to support uh, mining, uh, to support. And that's what supports the security of the of the network, of course. Um, so that means that either price needs to continuing to continue to double 
in order to maintain security um, or network security basically uh, becomes so low that the network will you know can be attacked basically or is even profitable to attack in which in which case I would expect it to happen um, and in terms of that alternative scenario of Bitcoin continuously doubling I really would question someone's understanding of economics in that case because in less than 30 years bitcoin exceeds global gdp and if it then has to continue to double for every four years and if you understand uh, how exponential functions work then you'd soon come to the realization that that is just completely impossible so in, in that sense you know bitcoin's original design was brilliant and i could see how it could have worked but uh, its current in its current configuration, I think that its security budget will run out between seven to eleven years, and uh, you know, I also think it lacks, um, you know, a lot of innovation, a lot of the features, and you know, the capacity and all of this to really compete in, in, in the long run. And therefore, I don't think it will also gather enough fees either to maintain security. So that is it in one. Uh, in one breath, <laughs> I think I did okay with the summary there. Yeah, you did. You did. And you really, is that really a product you think of kind of the, the culture of Bitcoin uh, or, you know, or is it a technological <laughs> problem? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it, I think it's ultimately it's a problem of governance, which I would love to discuss Monero governance with you later on. I think that would be fascinating, sure. but, but I think it's, I think it's a product of the governance Um and and the governance is also partially a product of the culture and the culture is also partially a product of the governance so these two things are somewhat feeding back into each other um uh, being self-reinforcing even to a certain extent um and i think that i think that that the 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 makeup of of people in the bitcoin community or the really serious people or the connected inside it people that there was a very large divide that happened during the block size debate. And that made the people that are in Bitcoin and supporting it today, at least in a, in a, in a more significant level, um, uh, very monogamous. Oh, I'm not saying that word right. Uh, monogamous? No, not monogamous. Uh, uh, it's, it's all the same. Anyway. Homogeneous. Homogeneous. Thank you. That that's that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, and 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 then that you have a very similar uh, group, and then you know you combine that with a very high degree of censorship, um, and a, and a very uh, high you know selection bias, um, and but ultimately I think the governance is not capable really of making the changes needed in time, and that's partially a result of politics, which are the people. The uh, the governance, which are the mechanisms, right, uh, and also the uh, culture. So, do you think it was that you know it was essentially it was co opted by by you know a group of people that you know that the kind of the conspiracy uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that wanted to move yeah. Bitcoin tech to layer two so they can really at the end of the day control it in kind of a fiat manner as opposed mm -hmm. to letting it naturally evolve on layer one and yeah you know that's where the the real impetus was that's where the that's where how, how we got to where we are is because this 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 group kind of came in took over and then you know using the power and influence they gained along the way were able to continue along that path um that's that's certainly possible um i would say that's a con technically a conspiracy theory and i I think there are conspiracies in the world, and uh, we we can't completely prove that. 
But what we can prove and what we can know of certainty is that there's a clear conflict of interest, mm -hmm. right? Between Bitcoin Core and companies such as Blockstream and Chaincode Labs, and maybe a few others, uh, where these companies are developing for-profit layer two solutions. Um, and I think that creates a direct disincentive to actually support scaling the layer one blockchain layer. So I think what we can show and what we can prove is that um, there is a conflict of interest there. And furthermore, that also as a result of the block size debates, a lot of the, uh, the development is extremely centralized. There's basically just one Bitcoin core client and any, any competition to that client is culturally basically seen as an attack on Bitcoin. So that, that creates an environment where I believe it's effectively just a one-party system. Mm -hmm. um, because I do believe that having multiple client implementations is actually absolutely critical if you're, you know, hoping to achieve some form of decentralized governance. But does that necessarily lead to failure or does it lead to just some equilibrium where you have this system that maybe isn't as decentralized as originally hoped for, but it's well, kind of federated monster that exists that people are are all agreeing to store their value in even though it doesn't really have a base utility of you know a decentralized censorship resistant network but it's kind of like collectively they've all said you know we're going to store our value here and then it just kind of in perpetuity lasts just like uh you know a religion or something else sure sure i mean i mean if i were really to be specific i think what it leads to is that the system becomes captured mm -hmm. by a small number of individuals. And then the question is, does this, what is effectively, I think, a dictatorship because you have a single lead maintainer having the final say over all decisions, right? If you mm -hmm. say oh, only Bitcoin core, right? Um, you know, but does, but does Bitcoin I mean, then go away after that? Or it's just all these people are like, yeah, it's captured, but you know, at least it's the number just keeps going up, even though it's basically essentially controlled by the state at this point. Right. Or or controlled by the small cabal of people that basically have the power to gatekeep any rule changes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, within limits, right? Because I mean, like even dictatorships have limits, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this analogy still, you know, works out. Um, I mean, the result of that, now here comes the question. The question becomes, are they going to make the best decisions for the network, right? And we can compare this also to, uh, you know, uh, real-world dictatorships, right? Do dictatorships that have a clear conflict of interest, let's say, uh, have, do they usually have the best interest of the network or the, uh, the, the, the people or the, or the country at hand, if you will? Usually not, right? No, yeah. Usually that ends up being a disaster. It's and their I, own power and yeah. own wealth that they're. Concerned. I mean, you you can roll the dice on that. You know, it's it's a it's a bit like monarchies, right? Like if you have a good monarch, then oh wow, things are great, uh, and then the next one comes along, and chances are the next monarch isn't that good, right? right. So I think that's that's somewhat the problem. So, um, and and the question is, okay, what decisions are they making? And I think yes, yours in your scenario, people could just believe in it, and the number could just keep going up, and that could happen to anything in the world, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, if, if you're really thinking about this in terms of investment or really predicting the future, then, you know, something that is centrally controlled effectively, and 
something that has really lackluster economic attributes or security attributes just competitively. I don't think that can go up forever. I mean, if the security model uh, was functional, by the way, in the way that Monero is, I might just might as well add this here. This problem that Bitcoin has about the, um, and, and you know this, of course, from for your audience, um, the 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 problem is is when um, um, when the supply runs out in in Bitcoin, right? Uh, Monero of course, obviously has a tail inflation, mm-hmm. so it can just indefinitely remain secure. It's a very simple solution, but it absolutely works. So so th- that's the thing where I would say, well, there's a limit to that because if people just keep believing in it and, and keep believing the false narratives and keep my number keeps going up, right? Right, but at a certain point, it's going to hit a wall, right? And when it hits that wall, um, I, I can't imagine people still sticking with it in the way that they do. If the network is literally just insecure and double spins are occurring and, uh, you know, you have to wait for a thousand confirmations. <laughs> yeah. and do, you think, do you think there'll be some moment too, maybe the, you know, the catalyst will be when they have to make the hard decision of potentially adding a tail emission and that's where things will start to bifurcate and, you know, Bitcoin kind of splits once again and you have 21 million Bitcoin that isn't as secure as tail emission Bitcoin. Yeah, that's spot on. That's what will happen. So, you know, I've, I've been through a number of big blockchain civil wars and I've seen multiple splits and I've seen how this happens. And what will happen is you in, I don't know how many years from now, but there will be a split where uh, part says we have to ditch the 21 million limit and another group says never, <laughs> and uh, one will be insecure with a 21 million limit, and the other one will be secure without a 21 million limit. Um, you know, and but I just I just don't think that that's a bright future because it just really throws a spanner in the works of that narrative that people are being told. It really goes against I think what a lot of people believe. Um, so I think that's and and also when we're comparing this now to systems like um, uh, you know what what I really like and again uh, if I don't think uh, Monero doesn't have fee burning if if I'm correct right there's no fee burning mechanism fee burning no where you mean coins just get locked yeah. up burnt for for yeah. what purpose you're saying yeah so I, w- I would highly recommend that Monero does this as well because I think it's absolutely brilliant and that's one thing that is an innovation that happened in Ethereum where I really think in terms of the economic design they were really spot on and as far as I'm concerned I think all blockchains should adopt this so basically you have a small tail inflation like Monero has mm-hmm. um, and then you also say burn 50% of the fees and if you burn 50% of the fees, if there's a high amount of fees, then actually the amount burnt can actually exceed the, uh, the inflation rate. So then you actually have a negative inflation. You actually have a shrinking supply. Mm-hmm. So now you, now you have an algorithmically determined supply that during periods of low economic activity, there's a small amount of inflation that keeps it secure. Um, and uh, during high amounts of economic activity, you actually have a shrinking supply, which then adds to the uh, value proposition of the uh, of the cryptocurrency. That, in my view, I think is the really superior design. And Monero is already halfway there with the tail inflation. Yeah, which I mean, be I, much harder to add. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hmm. I mean, I, I, well, one, you have you have coin loss, right? So there's there's studies where people have kind of like I think even Peter Todd kind of looked at this and you know said you know. 
effectively something like like a Monero with the tail emission probably is is losing more coins than what's being added by its tail emission over time. Um, I think that's fair to say, especially as it's being used more and it's actually transacted, right? So it's not it's not a uh, a meme uh, meme of hold your hold your Monero and never use it. It's move it around and transact as much as possible, which is certainly going to lead to a lot of people losing coins along the way. There's that. Just to throw that out there. I mean, I think it's that's a very real thing. It's fair. It's a it's yeah. a fair argument. I think I think Peter Toddy overstated the numbers a bit, but in irregardless, it's still a fair it's a fair argument. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I do think, though, that that the fee burning model, though, is is more tangible. You can, you can see the supply being reduced. It's just more and more uh, attractive to investors, I would say. Yeah. And I imagine there'll be other things in the future where people are locking up their Monero for certain reasons. And, you know, it's just those things haven't been added yet. Right. Like, so they're mm. just concentrating on on digital digital cash. Yeah. Um, hmm. Try to think where where I wanted to where I wanted to head head with this. So I'm, I'm I'm curious about governance. Actually, I would love to ask you because I haven't I'm, I haven't spent a lot of time um, researching Monero specifically recently. But I I actually used to be much deeper uh, in into Monero, so I'm not sure exactly where the design stands now and and where certain things stand. I remember uh, I think is I'm not sure if, if Fluffy Pony is still part of the community or. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was the lead maintainer for some yeah. time, and then he passed it on to somebody else, and now yeah. you know now it's somebody else. So it's it's very similar to you know to Bitcoin in that respect. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I, I had some really interesting discussions before Fluffy Pony uh, years ago around yeah. around Monero governance, and 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 the way that I viewed Monero governance is, and 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 you just nailed the nail on the head, is I've always felt like Monero governance is basically Bitcoin governance, but you're honest about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a little bit more open and transparent in terms of getting feedback from the community. I think this is what when I had asked you that original question, you know, is it the the issue with, with Bitcoin? Is it a cultural issue or technological? I think Monero's done a very good job at creating a cohesive culture where ninety-nine point nine percent of the people involved in Monero and are using Monero know what Monero is meant to be and are, are on board for that, which is digital cash, right? So because you have this, co whereas in Bitcoin, oh, it's a store of value or it's digital, like it's, it's not, it, there isn't this cohesive vision. Uh, and in Monero, there is. So when a design decision needs to be made, everybody is kind of looking at it from the same vantage point of, will this help us towards the goal of creating fungible, censorship-resistant, untraceable digital cash. And so because everybody has that same goal in mind, uh, when people when when various issues and design decisions are made, everybody's kind of weighing it from that degree. And then there may be arguments as opposed to which leads to that more effectively. But usually most people end up aligning as to where that where you know where that design decision should be made. Uh, right now, we have. I don't know if you're familiar with Transaction Extra. It's a component of Monero, where extra data can be added into a transaction for, for purposes of. Originally, it was there for uh, was something called payment IDs. So with Monero, it's it's difficult, right? Because it's untraceable, especially in the early days with exchanges. Uh, you would send, you know, you'd send your Monero to an exchange, and exchange didn't have any 
easy way of associating the the user with the Monero. So the, you had to attach a payment ID to it. So is this similar to the view key? Or is that no, view, view key is a, a way to you know give people uh, allow people to to view essentially view your transactions right view your history okay. without having access to your to your yeah. private key. This is just a way to send some extra data along with the Monero transaction, uh, but with the hope that it wouldn't be used for other things, right? Because the worry is if it starts to be used in ways that aren't desirable, it could potentially make Monero less fungible, right? Uh, as you can imagine, right? Uh, without going to the technicals, but perhaps it could lead to ways where you could uh, distinguish some transactions from others based on the the uh, the data that's added in the transaction extra field. So there's this big debate that's going on. But what what you're seeing is everybody's on kind of on board with let's do whatever we need to do to make sure Monero maintains its fungibility. So at the end of the day, the governance, uh, yeah, it's you know the devs coming to consensus on what to be done, but it's you know in a very open source, false manner. It's spoken about and debated, and then decisions are made. And then I think there, there's evidence of the fact that uh, that works out well because you haven't seen a contentious fork in Monero, and Monero uh, f- forks. You know, you know, it updates. We like to call them upgrades. Uh, it was doing it every six months. Now it's over. A, you know, maybe a year, a year and a half, even two years, and we've yet to see a, a really uh, contentious fork of any kind. Everybody kind of gets on board with you know the direction. I really love how you guys are sticking it to that soft fork BTC narrative. By the way, that's great. <laughs> right, um, you know this, this whole idea that you have to ossify, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think in Monero, part of the culture is no, you have to evolve because you know it's it's a constant battle, and we haven't won yet. We don't have a perfect tech that can't be tracked and traced yet. You know that you know it's it's a constant battle versus those that are trying to uh, track and trace the crypto. Yeah, there's 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 a few things to unpack here. Um, sure. I um, in terms of the governance, I think all cryptocurrencies start out centralized, like they all start that way, and and they they somewhat need to, and then you're still highly dependent on on you know a group of people, and I think that's that's fine. Um, but I think at some point you need to go through that process of of decentralizing. And more, and 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 on some more fundamental levels. So I think you know, and and I'm glad the Monero community is so cohesive, and I understand that that's working today. And it sounds like you have a very admirable type of you know GitHub process happening here, and I think that's great. But I do think that at scale, um, that type of governance is too vulnerable. Is too vulnerable to capture. And I think at scale, you really need to have multiple competing implementations. And ideally, you have some sort of on-chain governance mechanism to then um, to, to then maybe make that a deciding fact- factor, right? Because in, in democracies, right, uh, every time we have an election, we don't have a civil war and split countries apart, right? That's because we generally agree with the process of decision-making. Mm-hmm. So what you need is is a process of decision making that's that's outside of um, uh, that that is outside of the of the actual GitHub or uh, you know client implementation level, and and I think at scale you're going to need that or else it's just far too vulnerable for someone to come along and start here's a scenario start bribing um, you know with a lot of money some of the developers up top, right? 
And and maybe these developers now are honest, but maybe the next round, you know, might be tempted by something like that. Right. And I think that's that's a real danger that that you need to start to think about when you start moving into kind of a greater scale and a greater uh, importance in the world, especially if something like Monero. Yeah, I mean, really I, I, would, I would say we even kind of already saw an example of that with when Monero went to being ASIC resistant. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it was always trying to be resistant to to ASICs, but there was, you know, when it when it updated its proof of work to random X, there was this moment of you know, is this, is it, you, do we want to do this or is, does Monero, do ASICs, is, is ASICs an inevitable thing and is it not worth fighting? And obviously there are those that stood to benefit greatly from uh, an ASIC Monero, right? Uh, and, but, you know, once again, culturally it was overcome. Fluffy Pony even being on the side of against implementing RandomX was overcome by, by the community. And once again, this idea of, Let's create the most censorship-resistant, permissionless crypto possible. And so striving for one CPU, one vote, one out the, you know, the potential for others to uh, benefit greatly uh, if we went the ASIC, ASIC route. Right. Uh, but I, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I guess, I guess Monero, um, you know, is just hasn't gotten there yet. Uh, I guess you would say, well, you need to you need to start planning now, um, and yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good dis uh, discussion to have. You should you should come hang out with the Monero devs in the uh, in the rooms in the chats and uh, throw it out there. Yeah. Uh, Monero is is very open and malleable to to discussing these things, yeah. and uh, I think it'd be a great debate to be had about the future governance yeah. of, of Monero. And you know, and and the community now is cohesive, right? But if Monero does get a huge wave of adoption, say, ten more, ten times the the number of people get into Monero and get involved, those people might not really, those people might not have the same viewpoints, you know, that that the current Monero people have, and that's something you saw in the different waves of people coming into cryptocurrency that that we discussed earlier as well. And I think I think it's at that scale that, and and I and I acknowledge that it's working now, right? But 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 my critique here is really more one of well, at scale it's going to, this type of system is vulnerable to manipulation, to to politics, to bribery, to corruption, to conflicts of interest, mm -hmm. and you really want to counter for that before you get to a point where you know nefarious actors attempt to capture. And it sounds like you had somewhat of a uh, you're somewhat able to kick out bad actors. I don't know the full story of, of what you described before. But it's um, yeah, it wasn't so much of bad actors, but there were those that potentially stood to benefit financially. I think if it went the more uh, right. ASIC friendly route, well, uh, that's the conflict of interest uh, story. Right. Again, but right? the yeah. the the ethos of true digital cash prevailed. Yeah. Um, so that's Which why is, I say, you know, I, I, it's not just me. Uh, I, I think there's something really there with creating this strong, cohesive ethos. Uh, no, yes. I think that's key. And I think I think what you're describing is also like that's the social contract. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I recently wrote a um, an article about governance and I described six principles of good blockchain governance. And one of those principles was right at the end, but it was one of those principles was social contract. So you need a strong social contract in place, which kind of creates the expectations. I think Monero is a great example of that in terms of the, the ASIC resistance questions, right? Mm -hmm. I think no one's going to develop ASICs for Monero now because the social contract is in place. As soon as someone does, you're going to switch the mining algorithm over. And I think that is, 
pretty brilliant and pretty cool. You know, it, it does democratize uh, proof of work more, right? Um, ASICs, you know, do lead to much fiercer um, economies of scale. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, gates keep a lot of access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but I mean, I, I think that in the case of Monero, I really am of the thorough belief. And I've, I've so it's something I've given a lot of thought. But I think the way that would look like in Monero is usually I advocate for like proof of stake, like um, stakeholder-based voting that might not workers might not jive as well with the uh, Monero community, I suspect. So maybe you could do some sort of variation of proof of work uh, voting as well, right? Um, I think think that's the type of thing you do in order to say, I mean, if you don't have that, you just have Nakamoto consensus, right? Right. And and that's the idea. And that's what Bitcoin has. It says, well, if you don't agree, you can just fork off, right? But I, th- I think I think that has its has its limitations. Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans. And if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. Yeah, um, to- totally agree. So, would you say? So, would that be your l- largest criticism of Monero? What What are your criticisms of Monero? Um, <laughs> you, you are, you're asking for. Now I'm going to feel bad, but I, I, I think you'll. I, I, I think you'll see these. This is uh, this once again. This is the ethos of Monero. We 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 yeah. we, we self criticize all the time, man. Sure. Okay. Glad glad to hear. It's it's somewhat of a. I've I've you could say a list of requirements of what I want to see out of a modern cryptocurrency and okay. lay out how I see that. So I think that, um, well, specific to Monero, I actually think that optional privacy is important, but Ooh, what you just wow. described. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So, I know. I'll put that on the list. Okay. You know what? Actually, yeah. let, let me dwell on that for a moment because okay. I understood from you, that's maybe a little bit of a debate in the community now. So that could be an interesting thing to, for me to weigh in on and maybe throw a wrench in your unity just, just a little bit. Um, try. <laughs> Um, so I think that optional privacy is really important because I think that it's important for private individuals to have the, to, to be able to have privacy, right? That mm-hmm. privacy being a, a, a human right, actually. It's also like really important for, um, free thought. If, if you feel like you're always being monitored, you can't, you can't think freely. And that's another reason why I think privacy is really so critical in the formation of, of an individual and a human being. Okay. Um, but on the other hand, I also want things like institutions and charities and uh, government agencies, as far as we need them, to actually also have you know a degree of like transparency. So that's where I see like two sides of blockchain is one, you can enforce transparency on certain institutions and, uh, and individuals and, and, and private enterprises. Some private enterprises can really have good privacy. I think Monero somewhat achieves that because of the use of the view key and yeah, the transaction yeah, yeah. ID. In that regard, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. I don't think people yeah. are, Monero are an opposed of a way to, to show your transaction history if yeah. you want to, but 
uh, there's there's great opposition to this idea of something like a Zcash where you can send a transparent mm. transaction versus one that is obfuscated. And the primary reason for that, obviously, yeah, uh, privacy is a human right. Uh, you know, I go off on rants all the time, the importance of that, especially in the digital age. Uh, but just for money purposes, once again, to the, the fungibility aspect of money, right? So if you don't want histories being attached to, to, to transactions, uh, you're going to need every transaction to essentially look the same. And if you start to have opt-in uh, privacy, now some transactions are traceable, others are not, and you're deteriorating the, the fungibility of the protocol would be the, the primary argument against that. But you're giving people the option. And as long as you don't, you know, uh, degrade the anonymity set too much by doing that, I, I overall think that that's a positive, just giving people that freedom. And yeah, but why, why would you want that versus something like a Yuki where I could, uh, you know, essentially, right? And that, that is similar, right? It's just uh, instead of default being able to send a transparent transaction, I'm instead giving you, uh, you access on request to see into my transaction history. So government using Monero uh, would publish their, you know, their their view keys and you know the, the citizens would be able to see all the transactions going in and out of that wallet. I must say though, Monero's transaction keys, uh, view keys aren't even at that stage yet. They're being developed to truly do that. Right now they, they don't actually even fully do that. But Monero community certainly isn't against a a true fully viewable view key where you could see mm -hmm. all transactions going in and out of a wallet upon request. Here's yeah. my view key. Here you go. Uh, you know, Uncle Sam, take a look. You can look at the wallet. It, it sounds like the transaction ID is just more, it's just a more granular version of that though. So that to me would maybe instead of revealing your whole address, you're just revealing this one transaction or am I mistaken on how that works? No, the the view key is you're yeah. viewing into a wallet, right? So yeah. I'm not giving you my private key, but I'm giving you something where you can now you can now look at the wallet and see all transactions going in and out of it. Which, like I said, right now that actually the view key in Monero actually isn't up to that hasn't mm. gotten that far. You can't see all transactions in and out. You can only see transactions coming in, but. They're, they're evolving in that direction. Once they add Seraphis, the view keys will be more capable and will essentially be able to do that. So would that fulfill your your need there? Yes, of it does. Okay. It, it does. Yeah. It does fulfill. And I, I'd like to just provide an example because this is something with my company. Um, as an investment fund, right, mm -hmm. which is registered with the Dutch financial authorities and has a fund administrator that needs to monitor all of our financial transactions, Right, and that we do full KYC and AML on any investors coming in, and we need to be able to identify our counterparty. Right, in order to do that, we need something like a view key. If say the fund I manage invests in Monero, mm -hmm. because that then provides the transparency and the added security that we're being monitored by third parties and this and that um, to the investor. Like, and and in that framing, you can see it's how it's a positive, and then more institutional investors. Are also able to invest in something like Monero as well. So I just want to speak. I just want to praise the the idea of a view key here. Okay. Any developer gets it in his yeah. head to remove that. And feature. I would say view key, <laughs> view key, okay, but optional privacy. I would kind of categorize. Uh, my understanding is is a different concept, more of like a Zcash. <laughs> right. You right. send a transaction. Do you want this transaction to be obfuscated, or do you want it to be 
fundamentally transparent the yeah. actual transaction. No, I understand. So yeah. in that distinction, I would actually, I would, I would agree with you. So, so for me, what I meant with optional privacy is just, just gotcha. what the view key is already able to do. And gotcha. this transaction ID sounds pretty decent as idea to me as well, but uh, it'll so be an interesting one. debate within your community. Well, what's, what's the next uh, Monero uh, critique? Okay, right. So we're on the critiques. I'm glad you you brought me back on the uh, focus because this is a good one. So as you can probably already guess this, a lack of Turing complete smart contracts, uh, smart, uh, a lack of a Turing complete smart contracting language, I should say. So something like the Ethereum virtual machine. Um, I think that's something that Monero would require. However, the problem with that, right, if you implemented something like that, it doesn't scale very well. <laughs> right that's that's a lot of the problems that that ethereum's having and in order to scale um Turing complete smart contracts you'd also need i think another method of scaling um i i'm i tend to favor things like execution sharding so you're able to shard a blockchain into uh multiple shards by the same uh, randomized validator set that's that's personally what I'm in favor of. So, of course, if you don't have Turing complete smart contracts, then Monero can scale to the moon, and you don't have that problem. So, I can understand not wanting to do that because by introducing sharding, you're going to introduce a whole bunch of other problems, and it's a massive engineering challenge. But mm -hmm. that's that's still where I stand on that one, and that that goes back to thinking that you know uh, base layers need um, um, need a uh, DeFi basically yeah uh, another critique unless you want to comment yeah on that i guess i guess yeah. you know i i obviously don't speak for the entire monero community and maybe once we go into q a people could throw things out there but i think the the general response would be yeah we would see that something more as a you know a second layer uh mm. on monero that like you know in in the layers to to be built on monero whereas focus layer one uh decentralized censorship resistant uh, main, making sure we get digital cash correct, uh, and then we could add, add all the fancy schmancy uh, smart yeah. contracts on the layer two. So, so that's a really interesting discussion. I think this is one of the biggest debates in crypto right now. Mm -hmm. Is where what I would refer to as modular scaling, which is scaling through layer twos, or monolithic scaling, which is scaling through the layer one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've I've always been an advocate of of monolithic scaling myself. I think that when you have things like layer twos, it in, for the most part, and I think you can't really get around to it. It's fundamental, is that you have trade offs in uh, user experience or security trade offs or um, a whole a whole league of different um, uh, compose issues of composabilities, issues of interoperability. You know, just requiring the user to make extra steps, I think, is very um, counterproductive towards wider adoption. So it's for that reason that I that I really prefer a sharded approach instead, in which you're able to scale horizontally um, and you know increase and decrease the number of shards based based on activity. But that's that is that is really on the cutting edge, and Monero would be. Pretty smart not to pursue that now and maybe just adopt someone else's code in a few years from now. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't, yeah. don't want to make it sound like Monero isn't pro uh, mono. You call it monolithic scaling. Yeah, I mean, I think it, more so than most cryptos, right? So, like with yeah. its dynamic block size, tail emission, mm -hmm. uh, Monero isn't even really think. I mean, there's there's very theoretical talk about layer twos. But really, it's focused on trying to onboard as many users as possible to layer one and, you know, be yep. the visa 
of of, of the world on on layer one. I mean, it's it's, but you know, maybe with you know lacking a touring complete uh, smart contracts, right? And that would be be something later, but. Uh, but definitely looking to scale as much, very much more so than than a Bitcoin, right? Right. So dynamic block sizes. I don't even think we mentioned that. Um, are you familiar with Monero's dynamic block sizes? I am. I am. I actually really like it. I'm still curious if it works a similar way. As far as I understood, basically you need a certain amount of fees in a block uh, in order to then propose an increase in the block size. Does it still work that way? That it did when I last looked into it? Yeah. I mean, I'm not super technical Amazing. on it, but the idea being that, you know, as, as more transactions uh, uh, are required of the network, the, the blocks can dynamically scale up or yeah. scale down based on demand. Uh, and then it actually ties into the tail emission where, you know, there's this um, punishment or, you know, a fee assess so that people don't just spam the, the block size. Uh, that's right. I mean, the, the miners need to pay, right, to increase the block size and they need a certain right. amount of fee right. to so justify that. that. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. So that could come out of the, the continuous yeah. tail emission that's always there. So they could be right. kind of uh, a fee assessed with that regard. But the, but the general idea being that uh, as more, trans, more people are looking to use the network and more transactions are, are taking place, the blocks get larger, transaction fees actually go down because you're fitting, you know, more transactions in per block. And and the thing is, based on this design, the, the only critique I had, and this was a few years ago, so this might have changed. I, I just thought that the way the numbers were tweaked, I, I would have tweaked the numbers down a little bit. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's already happened in terms of the um, the cost to increase the block. Because I think that still created, um, it kind of skewed the transactions to be a little bit more expensive, but I could be, I could be completely. Yeah. Wrong about those that. things uh, have been tweaked over time, but I don't okay. want to like, yeah. put out false information. And, sure. 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 But that's, that's also a really easy thing to change, you know, but as far as I'm concerned, and this is the most, this is the cool thing is that Monero can basically scale to global scale and serve the whole world as money. As far as I'm concerned, in terms of the scalability of the system as, as it is now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, I think the major criticism would be right the size of running a node, right? Uh, that you know, will will can can hardware expand fast enough, and can bandwidth expand fast enough to keep up with the dynamic block size. I, I haven't really looked at the numbers because obviously the um, ring signatures and, and a few other elements are like more expensive, computationally expensive for Monero. Yes. Yes. I haven't looked at the numbers, but if you take something like the Bitcoin code base, right? Um, I'm of the thorough belief that you could just scale that to like Visa scale levels today. And mm -hmm. you could basically still run that off a 10 year old laptop, um, you know, and I think that's fine. Oh, sorry. No, uh, sorry. No. PayPal levels would be 10 year old laptop. You need like a five year old laptop if, if I'm trying to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but still, um, and not a super fancy one or anything like middle range laptop, and you can run that node on that. I think that's fine. I think requiring every node to be able to run on a Raspberry Pi, which is this tiny little computer that you can buy for like $40, I think is a bit excessive to, to, to want to like bottleneck the network to that device. That's, that, that's, that's my. Very opinionated opinion on uh, <laughs> yeah, on I mean, yeah, yeah. Mon Monero transaction. Uh, I don't want to put the wrong, but I think it's about four times heavier than kind of a Bitcoin transaction. Oh, okay, well, that's uh, fine then. That's like, that's you know, a okay. Getting, yeah. yeah, you're getting a lot with that, right? So, those that yeah, want yeah. to use Bitcoin in a way that resembles Monero, 
uh, they're doing things like coin joins and all these extra mm-hmm. transactions to achieve the same end result, whereas that's kind of built into Monero. Yeah. So kind of an apples to apples comparison where you're trying oh, yeah, to yeah. use Bitcoin in a fungible way. Uh, it, 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 it approaches being the same, the same weight in terms of transactions. And then, uh, you know, those that would, would say Monero can scale would say, well, you know, Nielsen's law and Moore's law will be on pace with, you know, the, the adoption. And then in addition to that, Monero's tech, just it become the transaction size have historically become more efficient over time. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's yeah. been a lot of evolution there. Uh, things like bulletproofs, bulletproofs plus plus. So these, you know, uh, uh, advances in encryption um, that have allowed that you know yeah. you're getting the same end result with less computational yeah. power. No, in, in, in that case, I would say Monero can scale to global scale as far as I'm concerned and serve the whole world as money today. If it can't today, in five years it will, because hardware and uh, optimization, you know, increases. So. Yeah, I, I, that, 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 that's what made the whole situation of BTC so tragic to me as well. Like it's absolutely capable of scaling and, and it doesn't, just shoots itself in the foot. And to me, like, like the, that's what reveals the bigger problem. Like if such a decision could have been made, that's the wrong decision. So therefore, to me, the governance is lacking. Mm-hmm. And why is the governance lacking? Because the system got captured. Yes. Right. And, totally, and, yeah. and, and, and I don't blame the people that captured the system. The right. system should have been more resilient to begin with, right? And that's, that's where we learn our lessons. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's over time that there's all, it's all slow running experiment, right? So we have to like watch some of these experiments fail and then like learn from that experience. Um, yes, yes. Uh, so uh, additional criticism. So optional privacy, smart contract, touring complete smart contracts. What's the, uh, what's the next one? Are there others, other major? Oh, yes, there's more. <laughs> so, so actually, I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm being such a grumpy person. No, so man. No, so bad and... Bring it. We love it. Yeah, we love okay. to hear it. Uh, so I have, I have really, and, and honestly, this is not a deal breaker to me, but I, I, I do think proof of stake is, uh, okay. is actually a better uh, type of con- consensus mechanism uh, for a blockchain. I just think you get more bang for your buck, so to speak. And uh, that can translate into uh, better security uh, and, and or um, a, a, a better economics. Because you don't have to pay for uh, you know all of that, all of that mining equipment, um, right? So so therefore, if I think if I think proof of stake is more secure, it's 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 more um, decentralized. Even well, actually, maybe with an ASIC resistance an algorithm, um, maybe in your case, maybe it's a my, my might be more interesting. Uh, not as straightforward of a comparison, at least. Mm-hmm. And then there's all sorts of other factors to consider. So that's actually an interesting thing to throw in there. Um, but but I think that proof of stake is just is just achieves the goals of a blockchain uh, better. So that's probably a controversial take. In the Monero oh, gotcha. We're gonna have we're gonna have yeah. that debate down at Monero. You should come to Monerotopia, by the way. This is where I'll all throw right. that in. You should come all down right. to Monero to- in Mexico City in May. Yeah. Uh, May- Honestly, if you want to let me know if you're interested, we could put you on the panel. We're going to have a proof of work versus proof of stake panel. Oh, wow. Um, We have uh, one of the oldest uh, crypto note devs, the guy who's claimed to have implemented the first. Right. uh, You know, uh, which is a fascinating story, by the way. Let's let's not get into that now. The Zano guy. Yeah, we don't have to go down that road. But the the guy who created who's now running Zano, Andre. 
Um, he he's you know Zano is moving to or it's developed a POS system that you know is built on crypto note. It's interesting. Uh, so we're we're gonna have that debate, but I guess yeah, uh, the the ASIC resistance, the really I th- what I pers- what I th- excites me about uh, proof of work and, and Monero sticking to it. Um, I guess one is like the the fifty one percent attack, right? A state state actors or those with a lot of endless resources, they have a- endless access to money to fiat, uh, but it may not be as easy for them to round up. All, all of the ammunition that's out there, right? That the guns that are hidden under people's beds, which are people's CPUs, mm-hmm. right? So, like, uh, if there if there was kind of the, this this war, it is very decentralized in that anybody with a CPU anywhere can participate in the network, right? They have access to the internet, they have access to electricity, uh, and they can go up against uh, a powerful entity that would have to, you know basically come up with more CPU power than than yeah. what's out there uh, as opposed to uh fighting it with with dollars which is really what proof of proof is well, in the day I see it a little bit differently because if you look at it from you know the perspective of a sophisticated actor um let's say I'm a sophisticated actor right and I want to attack a blockchain um from I think from my perspective if it's if I have to spend fifty million purchasing stake versus spending fifty million on mining equipment and you know anything to house it, the electricity, et cetera, it's the same. So I would put the idea of mining power just still in this in this dollar bracket. Like this is the cost to attack this system. And you can calculate what the cost of attack is, right? Based on the uh, mining power or stake that's available. And, you know, uh, generally speaking, if you're comparing two networks of a similar size, if you look at the cost to attack a system, proof of stake has a far higher cost to attack. And that's why I think that proof of stake is more secure because you're using the actual, you know, the capital of the value of the cryptocurrency to actually to protect itself. Right. And that's not that different actually also because, I mean, the the way mining works and unless we're talking about altruistic mining here, but I think the vast majority of mining has a profit motive and I think that's how it should work. So the amount of mining is directly proportional to the inflation or the fees that miners are collecting. And then if you look at that, that is your security budget basically. And then you can map the amount of mining power there is to that. And that should um, add up, so to speak, that that's within miners profit margins. Um, and if you were to attack it, I mean, a state actor, if you will, could absolutely just start buying tons of GPUs and could probably even have uh, better access to such things and uh, create, you know, uh, server farms that could then go ahead and attack a blockchain, right? Yeah, so from, it's, it's yeah. conceivable. But uh, I mean, I think that's kind of the the, art, the greatest argument against, against proof of stake. is. But it is against proof of work as well, right? It's the same argument. From my perspective, at least, I see. Um, I don't see. I don't see how it being like proof of work makes that any different. How that being physical hardware versus uh, stake being any different. To me, I just see a dollar cost to attack. Because they would have to obtain the the hardware is already decentralized. It's already out there. Everybody already has five CPUs in their home. It's already been it's right, but it's not like state actors can't gain access or buy buy these things, right? Right. They have to get well. They but still they have to go acquire it and they have to acquire enough to overcome. Right. You know, the but in the majority. case of stake, they also have to acquire it, right? 
Yeah, but they have, they have endless they have endless money printing power. Right, but if you have here, endless money that's... printing power, then you have endless buying power I to buy that. GPUs. Right. right, you do, but still, there's there's a little bit more of a barrier there. You have to obtain you ha you still have to obtain the CPUs versus just clicking the buy button and well I, I think the more valuable like barrier here is the cost so for me if you say compare say a 50 mm -hmm. million uh, say, uh let, let's say we have a proof of stake system and a proof of work system mm -hmm. let's say i'm um, i'll use actually i've done the comparison before so i use historical numbers when btc was at a at a at a hundred uh at a hundred million right oh sorry a uh, hundred billion i think it was yeah so when say you have a proof of work system at 100 billion and you have a proof of stake system at 100 billion, right? To attack the uh, proof of work system, right? Um, the, the attack will be maybe 2 billion, right? Based on historical numbers, based on the inflation and fees that Bitcoin had at that time, if I'm just using that as an example, okay? Then it costs 2 billion to attack that network, right? To, to, to overcome it. In the case of a proof of stake network, Right, you need to uh, have more than fifty billion, more than fifty-one billion, if you want. It'll be more than that because you'll drive up the price. So two billion versus fifty-one billion plus—that's a big difference in terms of the cost to attack. That's that that's that's the aspect that really convinces me. For yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and uh, Zano, uh, Andre from Zano, I think would would tend to agree with you on that. I think I think it's an interesting argument. So do you do you see uh, proof of work as then being a dinosaur that will not be here in you know whatever five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? I think I think Monero makes a good case for still being proof of work in twenty years from now and and serving that niche and serving humanity in a great way. I could see that happening. Or maybe there'll be a Monero fork that goes proof of stake. That'd be amazing. yeah, it's possible. And, and to the access argument too, right? So people in Venezuela can you know plug in their you know their Android phone, mm. uh, and with access to to electricity can start. Android phones not going to be able to mint you a lot of Monero. Well, the, the idea is you can some though something right. They could they it would can, cost you more though to store can, your can, phone battery and. Seep all your energy, your data. Actually, it wouldn't be much data, but no, no. I, I, in terms of like democratizing access, I think proof of stake has more potential for that as well. Mm -hmm. As opposed Just, to as opposed to having to get on an exchange, right? There's there's a K, there's a, a way without KYC or AML to sure. obtain Monero anywhere in the world. Right, exactly. It's very important. You can, now, you whether can, or not you can do that. It's super efficient to do it with an Android phone. No, well, that's what. But it, it is. It is ASIC resistant. Random well, X basically makes any CPU as right. good as any other CPU. But, but hold on. But if you right. were to do it with your phone, right? If you want to say, okay, I'm going to mine Monero with my phone or to gain access, you would get like fractions of a cent per week sure. or something. I don't right. know what the exact numbers is. Yeah. And you would be. It would be costing you so much more money in electricity and degrading your phone's hardware. So actually, for a say a person in a developing country to do this, this would really be have to be a charitable thing. It's not helping them, it's costing them. Right. And they're not even gaining it. Depends how effort. badly they, they you know, for what reasons they need. That's a that's a very extreme scenario. Right. But you know what? I'll give, scenario, I'll, I'll, I'll concede. I'll give you that. I'll <laughs> give I'll, I'll give you that. Proof of work has that advantage. But that's a yeah, very, anybody very anywhere much. in the world sure. can anonymously obtain sure. Monero with access okay. to electricity. Okay. That's, I, that's I will give you that. That's fair. Yeah. That's a unique advantage that proof of work has. I can't yeah. I can't disagree yeah. with you on that one. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of access to say that new inflation, I think from the perspective like that what I just drew, that person with his phone. 
right? Uh, and sure, it's, it's, and he's, and he's doing it at a loss, <laughs> right? Compared to, say, a guy that, say, can buy any amount of Monero, even if it's like a dollar worth of Monero, mm-hmm. and he can put that in a staking pool, and then he's getting the same amount of interest uh, that anyone else has, right? I think that is actually a m- democratizes access to validation and democratize access to that to that inflation more so than proof of work can because proof of work has these inherent economies of scale and competitive aspects. Mm-hmm. Understood. No, I agree. I agree. I think uh, we could bring this up in the in the chat. There might be some, sure. some good good takes on that. What would you say is your next uh, Monero criticism? Oh, do I have more? Okay, so I've done turn completeness. I've done proof of work. Uh, governance. Governance would be another one, right? And actually, I think we, we already covered that before. Yeah. I think single implementation like that, it's, that's how all cryptocurrencies start. That's fine. But I think over time, you you really need to... I, I don't think that that system scales uh, to like massive numbers. And okay. once you get to massive numbers, you're going to get the worst type of people will be able to outmaneuver and outmanipulate and outcorrupt the good people in many cases. And, you know, um, I think this is something that I think you learn from like history that there's a famous quote by Lord Acton. He said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. I just think there's, there's too much inherent power in that position to have the power to change the rules and you can manipulate narratives too easily. Mm-hmm. This is why I think you need more concrete types of uh, voting systems. Okay, I like that. Uh, let's let's jump back to to Bitcoin for a second, or just in general, right? So, so you run an investment fund. Um, we what what cryptos are in your fund, and how are you assessed? So, is like is Bitcoin completely out of the fund? Like you see it as a, as a dying dinosaur? And yeah, no Bitcoin in the Cyber Capital Investment okay. Fund since uh, two thousand seventeen. Okay, so and this is this is a fund that really aims to invest in the best possible cryptocurrency portfolio of the best possible cryptocurrencies at all times and back in 2017 this was even more controversial than it is today obviously mm-hmm. um but it's still a rather controversial thing to do and people might accuse me of being um of, of lacking a certain sense of conservatism but i see it i see it the other way around i think that that if you're investing in in bitcoin and you don't understand or you don't know for certain where the security budget's going to come from in 10 years i think that's that's a very risky thing to do. So, yeah, and that's Definitely that's why we haven't claim to be most concerned about security, right? Like, uh, like yeah. that, other, that aspect of Bitcoin, like, whoa, you know, we're, we're ossified and we're we're extremely secure, yet they they're not really willing to start negotiating the future and what needs to be done to the protocol. To it's uh, it's very hypocritical. Yeah. yeah, there are some Bitcoiners that I absolutely do respect and that are they bite the bullet on these issues, but they're they're far and few in between. So, what cryptos are in your in your fund, and why are you uh, uh, those? Yeah, no, we're we're not we're not overly public about about what okay. isn't isn't in the fund, but um, I think generally uh, we. What are you looking in, for? Yeah. So, actually, what I just described to you actually okay. is what we're looking for. So, we want monolithic scaling. We want uh, Turing complete smart contracts. We want proof of stake with a with a, a stakeholder based voting. Um, I've been thinking a lot about governance recently a lot i actually think that having um the longer you lock your stake in for the more weight you have in governance i think that's really really important that's to ensure um good long-term uh, decision making um 
I think those are some of the main ones. Yeah, on-chain governance, proof of stake, um, and execution sharding. Because if you have Turing complete smart contracts, you need something pretty. Uh, you, you need something to be able to scale that system uh, in in a good way. So I think those are the requirements. And then certain cryptocurrencies get close to all of those requirements. None actually do. I have this list of like, this is what I want a cryptocurrency to be. And not a single cryptocurrency actually hits all of those marks. So uh, that's, that's the interesting part. So we try to invest in, in cryptocurrencies that, that come close to that. So things like Algorand and Near and uh, Tezos and uh, Ton has been quite interesting and quite novel. That's something we've been looking into more but recently. No, nobody's using these cryptos on the dark markets though, man. Well, no, you're is, right. You're right. I mean, There's no Monero... option. When people, when yeah. people need digital cash, they're not, uh, you know. I know. I, I, I see it either way. I, either way, these these cryptocurrencies are going to adopt uh, some privacy solution, or Monero is going to adopt the uh, the, the 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 DeFi stuff. I right. don't know. I that's how I see it. Okay. So I think that's 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 the challenge. And we also invest in things like different DeFi projects. So things like um, uh, what should I say here? Synthetics and Aave and and some of the big blue chips. Deep, big blue to DeFi blue chips were actually all early investors in since you know I've been I've been an investor in Ethereum since day one. I've grown a bit more skeptical around Ethereum uh, more recently. There's a few it, it made a few pivots that I wasn't particularly happy with. Uh, prime, there's two things, and I've already discussed this. So I think the smart people in the audience could already deduct what I'm about to say. But I think in, in Ethereum, I think there's also a lack of on-chain governance. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, DAO, the, the DAO fiasco. I mean, that happened early on. Well, that's, that's, that's I think, more of a separate issue. Um, oh, well, actually, yeah, no, it, it does relate to on-chain governance. Actually, that's fair. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, that's that's an example of that, I suppose. Um, so, I, I think you have a lack of on-chain governance, and further than that, there's really a rejection of on-chain governance, which mm -hmm. to me also means that the governance of Ethereum is going to be vulnerable to, to, to kind of capture uh, at, at a larger scale. And, and conflicts of interest and corruption, et cetera. And my other criticism of Ethereum is also that it's gone the more modular route of scaling because it's it's not planning to actually uh, go ahead with doing execution sharding. So it's not actually scaling its its layer one and it's it's favoring layer two development instead. Hmm. So that 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 to me was just really upsetting. That's actually the most upsetting thing that's happened for me in cryptocurrency over the last two years. Not not FTX, not 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 Luna, not not any of that stuff. No, it's the it's the quiet pivot of Ethereum away from execution sharding. That's what keeps me up at night. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what keeps me up. I, I don't know. What, regulation. What's what's your take on regulation? Let's just cover that topic, and then and then we'll jump sure. into into the spaces room. If anybody that's sure, listening sure. to spaces will be in there soon. You guys could ask your questions to to Justin. Um, yeah, let's talk about that KYC AML. You know, mm. I, I'm in it. I mean, look at look at my poster here, right? I'm a I'm a liberty fanatic, right? I'm I'm trying. Yeah. I, I've, the crypto anarchist uh, yeah. is, is in me is what keeps me motivated. What is your take on regulation in crypto and where we're headed, and you know what you personally think about it, and what what you want the world to look like in terms of how governments uh, interact with crypto? Right. So uh, the crypto anarchist in me is always feels a bit conflicted on this subject. So I always feel I have to wear a different hat. But wearing the hat that we live in a world that is dominated by um, governments, right? 
um, I think living in that world, we do need some sort of regulations, right? And, you know, if I find that a lot as an investor, you know, some people don't want to invest or get involved in cryptocurrency because of a lack of regulation, actually. So I think there really needs to be a balance between, you know, not having regulations that are harmful to cryptocurrency, but at the same time also having regulations that actually help cryptocurrency. So for instance, I have nothing against like centralized exchanges uh, that are, say, jurisdictioned in, 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 in certain countries to fall under the same uh, regulations that other centralized companies or financial institutions would, right? I don't, I don't have anything against that. I think that actually helps to protect investors and, and helps protect users. I mean, we saw so many uh, so many of these blow-ups last year from FTX and from, um, you know, uh, Celsius and, and all these other big things. And so many people lost so much money. And that's actually done a lot of harm. You know, not just to individuals, but also to you know, cryptocurrency as a whole. So I think. But, like, but yeah. how much money did you lose in FTX? None. Right, because you because yeah. you understood crypto, right? And yes. You made it in a decentralized way. Yes, the fund the fund I manage does not keep their coins on an exchange. Right. So <laughs> right. Isn't, isn't that the solution? We 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 just use crypto the way it was intended to be used. I mean, uh, that's what I would like, but I think the reality is has to be a bit more nuanced than that. Because I think that um, self-custody is not easy for people and not everyone is ready to take on that responsibility. And uh, and that therefore you have like a mixture of solutions, right? Like most most investors are not that sophisticated to, to necessarily manage their own private keys. And then you have to balance the risk of them losing their own private keys versus the risk of them losing it on some exchange or some bank, right? So I think I think I think the question is not that straightforward, unfortunately. How about you know you know there's there's discussion of banning Monero right we've seen it happen we just oh, recently yes. happened in, in Dubai yes um, I would like to bring of, that yeah like yes. uh, Senator I'm glad Warren, you that yeah Senator Warren wants to put out a you know is trying to <laughs> usher through a bill to essentially mandate KYC AML even on unhosted wallets right yeah um, that's ridiculous. So, yeah. So, yeah. So the thing about that. So Although, the thing that basically the thing that really upsets my, me. About the, the, my core question here: Are you yeah. concerned? You know, like, okay, so we, we have to be practical with regular people are losing money, they're getting hurt. But are you concerned that this can lead to some kind of co-opting, which, right, you're concerned with the, the governance models of crypto, mm -hmm. and, and I get that. But this idea that governments can start to seep into and potentially co-opt cryptocurrency uh, by way of regulation and cryptos um, evolving towards and making design decisions that are in accordance with these regulations like we had the discussion of optional privacy and really your opinion was because of regulations it's a nice thing to have because you can basically uh work with the regulators when that, and 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 is that also like is that like the potential co-opting of the of the of the cryptocurrency i mean the, the client manager of the fund i manage is like a private organization which is like mm -hmm. a third party that looks at our transactions to make sure that we say can't scam anyone right so i think right. i think that you can also look at that within a private context it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a government and that just adds to transparency right but no this whole situation with governments trying to ban monero I, I think is just so unbelievably misguided and that's also because i understand that every cryptocurrency is capable of a high degree of privacy i think or monero's 
especially capable, obviously, and it makes it easier for people. But you can, you know, set up mixes on on other blockchains, and you can do things like zero knowledge proofs. Very expensive computationally if it's not natively implemented, obviously. But but all of these things are possible. So I think that all blockchains are inherently um, have optional privacy. So going after like something like Monero to me just makes makes no sense at all. If you're trying to like from a regulator's perspective, you're trying to like bring consistent and helpful policies. It just seems very misguided to me and really it comes from a place of not understanding, you know, the nature of cryptocurrency. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really against this idea of and I've have spoken to regulators even that I seem like they kind of perceive Monero as like, the bad guy, you know, like, oh, no, no, they're like the black sheep. Like, oh, what, you, 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 you have Monero? Like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I want to remind them that, you know, privacy doesn't mean you're up to something bad. You know, it just means you, 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 you appreciate, you know, that, that human right, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that that comes from a really, really misguided place. And I hope that as, you know, these governments mature and, and their understanding matures that, that they're not going to push, push such unbelievably misguided policies. So, yeah, I think it's really negative. I think, I mean, this is the thing, right? So unless, you know, the government in like a conspiracy theory way, like buys off the developers who are then corrupted to the change the protocol, that that would be the thing that I'm concerned with, right? But yeah. here I think you're more referring to something like like the government is going to, because of their policy, it's going to influence development to maybe be more friendly towards regulation. Yeah. And I have no doubt that Monero is not going, I've, I have no doubt that Monero is not going to do that is going to do that. It's not going to do that. Sorry. Um, I've no doubt that there no way they're going to yield. And that's part of the culture and the part of the community there. And I think, I think that's great. And I think that all a government can really do is really um, push it more underground and make it more niche, which makes it even harder to control. So it even goes com- or, or to, even to monitor, which really goes against their interests. So they shouldn't do that. And I think, I think really, you know, cryptocurrency is designed to survive that and they could ban it and people are still going to use it on the black market, right? They've, they've done nothing to actually solve what they perceive as a problem. So, yeah, that's, that's, where, that's what I think about that. The, okay. but, but in terms of the role regulation serves, I still think that in a world where we still live under governments, um, I, think, I think it can actually serve a really positive role. So an interesting effect, for instance, is that recently there's been some talk of, say, not allowing exchanges to stake. I don't, I don't agree with their reasoning, but it is interesting that, that centralized exchanges staking has been a bit of an issue in terms of the distribution of, of a proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. That creates a form of centralization, that a government steps in and says, oh, no, no, you're not allowed to do that. Ironically, actually, uh, decentralizes the, the 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 distribution of the validators more. So it's interesting how how sometimes regulation can actually have have such a positive effect as well. Justin, thank you so much, man. I, I think this concludes our interview portion of of the talk here, and then we'll, we'll jump into the room. Any but anything you want to put out there in terms of resources you want people to be aware of, places people can find you, learn more about you. you sure. Um, so you can you can check me out on Twitter, uh, Justin underscore uh, Bonds. I uh, I release a lot of my um, my writing, my articles, my my critiques um, on Twitter, and you can also check out my company, uh, Cyber Capital. So uh, those those are the main places to reach me, and uh, I just I just want to I just want to repeat what I said earlier. I just think I think Monero is 
really cool. I think what you guys are doing is really serving humanity in a really positive way. And, uh, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect that with my, with my critical eye or anything. That's, that's really not my intent. And I just, I know there's, quite a few people from the Monero community listening. So I just, I just want to say to them, just keep up the great work and keep, and, and keep remembering, you know, the goals of cryptocurrency, which is, which is not decentralization per se, because decentralization is just the, um, the means to the end. The, the end is economic freedom, is financial sovereignty, is privacy, is censorship resistance. And if you, if you keep that ahead above all else, including, you know, uh, including, you know, your, your symbols and, and your community and, you know, put principles before symbols, put principles before peer, peer pressure, you know, you put that first. And I think, I think Monero will continue serving uh, humanity for a long time. Fantastic, man. Uh, greatly appreciate you. Thanks for doing this. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's jump into, let's jump into the chat. All right. Anybody else that wants to speak, now's the time to request. Trent, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, man? I had a quick question about um, cryptocurrency. I wanted your opinion on this. Sure. What do you got? Okay, so when it comes to cryptocurrency, well, I'm thinking about Bitcoin. That's mainly what I know about. Not too well-versed, but from what I know, there's a finite amount, right? compared to fiat currency where they hit a button and they can just print basically infinite amounts of debt. The idea of financial sovereignty is that there's actually a finite amount. So they can't just print more Bitcoin. And as the halving continues, it gets harder to um, accumulate, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, if this does become the overarching powerful currency, at some point, do you see this becoming a thing where the wealth becomes bottlenecked? And basically a ceiling happens where people that are below the ceiling cannot get above the ceiling because of the finite amount of wealth. Uh, meaning that you know, people won't be able to obtain crypto. Those that already have it will, will have a too far of an advantage for anybody else to catch up. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, yeah yes, pretty much. And then in situations where crypto is like the main currency being used, if there is a situation where people cannot catch up, do you think that'll lead into a lot of crypto lending or do you think it'll just become a situation where there's a gang of poor people and then there's a bunch of people at the top who were basically getting head starts? Uh, well, I mean, right now, the way things work, right, you, you, you have a monopoly in terms of who can create money and that's government uh, and they do it by mandate, by fiat. And so crypto opens it up and it lets, lets money fairly compete and the market then decides what is the best form of money. Uh, Monero, uh, Bitcoin's limited supply. Uh, I would argue that the 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 cap itself really isn't the uh, most what makes Bitcoin attractive. It's that the supply is, uh, you know, perfectly predictable by the market, and that nobody can alter the supply. Uh, the fact that it is capped is just an easy way of expressing that concept that people can understand. Oh, there's only 21 million, but really the 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 uh, value there is that it's not so much the capped, 
but that the emission, the rate of emission is known and predictable and that there's no back room group of small group of people that's deciding let's create more of it because they can't. Uh, in terms of people being able to, you know, because of that, have a windfall because they, you know, they were early adopters, there's definitely, you know, attributes of that. And we've seen that, right, with these people that have become uh, mega, mega billionaires. Uh, Satoshi would essentially have, you know, on his way to being a trillionaire, right? Um, but, you know, the idea is that uh, because none can be created of thin air, out of need, people will be spreading their Bitcoin around because services are still demanded, right? People live in an economy. Uh, and they're going to need to spend their crypto. So unless people are just plan on hoarding it for the rest of their lives, the, the natural tendency will be for it to become more distributed over time as people demand it. So uh, anybody that's providing a service or adding value to the world will be obtaining whatever the crypto of choice is, whether it's Bitcoin or Monero, they'll be getting paid in that. And those that have it, will be willing to give it up because at the end of the day, if all they have is, you know, digits on a computer, there's no real value there, right? People at the end of the day, they're living, they're living in the world and they're going to be spending, spending their, their crypto. If that answers your question. Uh, that does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. Let me get, let me get Justin up here and try to, uh, Justin is now. Okay, cool. Justin, I think is up here. I would say too, man, uh, to look at this is you know where Monero and Bitcoin differentiate. We talked about it a little bit in the talk, and it's that Monero has a tail emission, so it isn't capped. It's not capped at twenty one million. It's nominally capped at about eighteen point six million, and thereafter there's a steady emission of Monero uh, throughout in perpetuity throughout time. So there'll always be new Monero created. And one of the, you know, one of the, the reasons why that's potentially a good thing, number one is it will help maintain the security of the network in perpetuity. So the miners will always have an incentive to mine and secure the network. But additionally, for the reasons that you're saying, there'll always be new Monero that's being created that people can permissionlessly access through the network via mining and obtain it because uh, there'll always be new Monero. Justin, we got we got you coming in. Hello, can you all hear me? Okay. Yes, we got you. Ah, fantastic. Okay, good. I just had to switch over to another headset here. So, uh, great. Well, it was, it was really fun discussion. I really I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. I'm adding some people here that are asking questions. Trent just had one. I asked that when you're when you're out. He was basically saying, "Is there a concern?" That due to Monero, uh, Bitcoin's cap. Let's let's just talk about it in terms of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. In terms of Bitcoin's cap, is there a concern that there'll be a windfall to the early adopters, and that those that are are late latecomers, late adopters, laggards, that they'll never be able to catch up, and there'll be you know more inequity in terms of wealth than there ever was because you know there'll be this. The, you know, those that hold a vast amount of value in Bitcoin versus versus the noobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not too concerned with that problem because I think that over time, uh, the distribution just becomes more decentralized. Yeah. I mean, if like early adopters make a lot of money, then they're going to want to sell some of that, right? And, you know, buy a house or, you know, whatever they might want to do. And then that then that over over enough time wealth just becomes more and more distributed especially if something like with something like monero that 
is still growing in terms of adoption. So yeah, and uh, proof of work, and I will say another advantage of proof of work, it is a very good initial distribution method. <laughs> yeah, it is. Good answer, good answer. I basically uh, voiced the same opinion there. And Andy, what's going on? What do you got? Hey, brothers. Uh, a few quick questions, if you could. Um, enjoyed the speech. Thank you. Uh, why are you not seemingly concerned about centralizing aspects of POS, um, you know, threats of attack or just as a too small locus of control? Uh, also, um, do you have any thoughts on Chia? And also, do you think Bitcoin could change to maintain its sort of, uh, you know, core things uh, while being energy sustainable. I, I read an article that said historically uh, to move up the market cap by a quarter of 1%, it's, le it, it, it's equated to about 10% increase in energy, which obviously doesn't sustain. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, so there's a, there's a few questions there. Um, so in terms of the centralizing effect of, um, of stake and proof of stake, I think I just described because uh, that, that argument also applies to proof of stake, right? So that over time, the distribution becomes, you know, greater and greater. And I think, honestly, I think like in terms of like true decentralization, I actually think that all cryptocurrencies currently are still, still haven't achieved true decentralization because you need that massive scale to make it so big that no single party could ever attack it. Right. I think that was always the goal for cryptocurrency. And I think the same is true if we try to envision, you know, the ideal proof of work network and the ideal proof of stake network. Um, I think I think the same is true there as well. I will say proof of work has the advantage as well, since I want to be completely fair here, of you do see the phenomenon that's usually it cycles. So you usually have a more they have like a different group of mi miners every five years, right? That's that's less so the case with proof of stake. But I mean, the way that I see something like staking is that it's really, um, I think it can be comparable to like something like bonds, where it's like low return, low reward. And I don't believe that's actually where uh, the majority of wealth accumulation even happens, right? You have guys that, f you know, found startups that that you know things like you know elon musk with his spacex and paypal and you know all, all of these sort of things uh, i think that's where far more wealth accumulation actually occurs so i think that that that's that's what skews um let's say the the concentration of wealth and it doesn't actually come from stake like where stakers are not getting super rich just off staking right <laughs> so yeah um, and you had two other questions, if you could just help me out with, with yes, one of the other you. ones. Yes, um, yeah. thank you. Could Bitcoin turn scalable? And the other question is your thoughts on Chia. Right. Uh, could, could Bitcoin become scalable? I mean, technically, yes. Um, uh, politically, no. <laughs> I think, and also probably like... Uh, yeah, I think politically no and culturally no would, would be the answer, or at least not um, not in time, right? I mean, who knows what happens in 100 years from now, right? It's a completely different set of people, but but not in time in terms of the 7 to 11-year horizon that's needed because then it needs to increase its capacity and then needs to completely switch narratives to kind of promote 
the use of money, like buy coffees with your Bitcoin, you know, it, it, it just that that whole narrative was really just wiped out and pushed out, um, you know, during that period of the block size debates. So so it's not just that it needs to increase the block size limit right in order to scale. It also then needs to attract the adoption, the adoption. It's, you know, pushed away for these years, you know. Um, I still vividly remember when Steam accepted Bitcoin and then they stopped citing, um, you know, uh, unreliability and, and high fees. You know, that's the type of thing we'd have to work back. So I, I just don't see it doing all of that within the seven to 11 year timeline. So. Well, suppose it could be a reserve currency and not a transactional uh, thing. And also your thoughts on Shia, please. Right, right. Well, I mean, I mean, the problem of that is, is again, this is security model, right? Like it needs to generate a high number of fees. And I just don't see the fees, you know, sustaining above $60 per transaction, which is roundabout what, what it would need uh, to be secure. And then it's not consistent, right? Even if it drops down for a little bit. Um, Chia, I, I feel like I should not say anything about you without having done thorough research. Um, so... Yeah. Is sorry. Can, can you remind me? Uh, Chia, it uses hard drive space, right? right? Am I correct there? Or, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I would view it being very similar to proof of work in that regard. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's considered a Nakamoto protocol. It seems pretty similar with a different yeah. engine. So, have you? Do you have any thoughts on that as a sustainable alternative for uh, sort of some of the ideals of POW and BTC? Right, right. I believe it is less wasteful than proof of work, but it's still more wasteful than proof of stake. So I guess it's somewhere in the middle for me. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Aeon, what's going on, man? What do you got? Hey, how's it going? Good talk as usual. Thank you, brother. Yeah, you got any comments? Any uh, questions for Justin? Yeah, I noticed uh, during the talk he was talking about ethereum and how he didn't you know well, he's talking about like his or justin was talking about his kind of you know favorite coin or his the coin he would want he didn't like ethereum because they started moving to layer two but he'd also want like ubiquitous scaling and so i'm curious what methodology are, are you kind of envisioning of scaling is it just like block size increase like or yeah, no, that's that's a great question. So um, I'm really an advocate of execution sharding right now. So uh, we basically um, uh, split a chain up into multiple pieces, which are then um, you know uh, they're all validated from the same um, validator set and randomized. So I believe I'm of the belief that that's a system that can scale and have Turing complete smart contracts while preserving decentralization. Um, yet, yet to be fully proven, I think we have some really pretty decent implementations out in the wild now, um, but it's certainly in the realm of being, you know, more experimental blockchain technology, if you will. Yeah, yeah so that's really what I'm advocating for now. Moving towards sharding and they kind of abandoned it, but I don't know why. Yep. So. That's right. Uh, well, because they and, and I've I've had really extensive discussions with with some with Ethereum core devs about this as well, and uh, they just don't believe it's possible. 
they just don't believe it's possible to kind of achieve that, so to speak, and 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 to to like engineer their way around these problems. And uh, I disagree. And I think that certain blockchains, like Elrond, like Nier, like Ton, are proving them wrong. And they still maintain that it's impossible, which I think is really silly myself. But yeah, that's the situation we're in. Uh, it was originally part of Ethereum's roadmap. And uh, it very quietly pivoted, and there wasn't that much discussion on the subject, actually, which goes back to my critique around the governance of Ethereum as well. Mm. So. And then follow-up, uh, I'm curious, are you familiar with uh, Eric Voskel's work in crypto economics? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I am. I can't say. About, you you yeah, might be interested in that because it brings up a lot of the um, – just threat models and regards to proof of work and proof of stake. And uh, his conclusion is that proof of stake once in the scenario where there's a 51% staker, there's no way to unseat that attack that sensor. If they're trying to censor the chain, trying to censor certain transactions and in proof of work, there is an ability to unseat that sensor by adding more energy because the consensus exists outside of the chain where proof of stake exists internally to the chain and once someone has majority stake there's no way to unseat that person um i actually think it's it's actually more the other way around in the way i see it um that's because say if you attack uh bitcoin i know monero is a little bit different but i'm used to using bitcoin in the example i'll, I'll try to see where, where monero is different but if you were to attack bitcoin right and say you have a very large majority of hashing power like let's say 80 percent for example stake i don't think anyone would ever attack a blockchain with an actual 51 percent that's <laughs> not a very reliable way to attack a blockchain um but let's say an attacker has 50 percent uh, sorry 80 percent um you know then you attack bitcoin and then Bit the only thing bitcoin can do at that point is like 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 you say wait it out but I mean, that would take like potentially it could take months to have such a build up and a massive expense and driving uh, mining profitability lower and lower in the process as well. So I, I don't think that that's very feasible. But but the well, reason no, why not, I see not it, to wait it out, right. just that right. more energy could be added to the network to overcome the attacker. Uh, Whereas a proof of stake, you can't add. There's nothing external to the chain to oh, okay. overcome that. Okay. You know, that's that's a fair point. That's, that's the difference between point. proof of stake operates on an internal mechanism into the chain, okay. whereas right. big proof of work operates as an external right. mechanism. But but then you are relying on a very large mass of altruistic miners, right? Um, because then there would be... Yeah, but energy is ubiquitous, so it's always available, whereas stake is, is, is inherent but, to the chain, so it's not... It, it, you see where I'm getting at? It's not obtainable in, in kind of a... Well, I mean, people could stake way. more coins. They could bring more coins online. They could buy more off the market, right? All of these things. Um, but but I, 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 I can see... Stake, you know, they're, they don't let anyone else stake, essentially. They right, just reject right, right. anyone trying to stake new coins. But I, I, I think if we're talking at a massive scale here and someone attacks a proof-of-work network and they have 80% of the hashing power and you can't just do an algorithm, like a mining algorithm switch like Bitcoin would do, after which you just repeat the attack, right? So in the, in the case of Monero, just be a single attack, then 
say say they have 90% of the hash or something, or I'll stick with 80% of the hash. It's still like, you know, then you're relying upon this altruism factor of people really bringing massive amounts of mining power online, costing massive amounts of money, right? We're talking like hundreds of millions here at scale, at least, um, to then counter that attack. I, I just don't think, I mean, that's possible, It'd be beautiful to witness. I think that did happen with Bitcoin Cash, actually, now that I think about it, because some people tried to attack the chain and then a bunch of mining power just moved over, kind of protecting it, right? And then for a while, it was unprofitable. So actually, yeah, there is precedent for that. Um, I just I just wouldn't consider it to be uh, something to put, like something to put up on stone as like, this is a certainty, you know? There's like a lot of variability there in terms of... Um, what could happen and like i don't like having to rely on altruism in these well, situations but but yeah, this but is the proof of work case right if i discuss proof of stake proof of stake actually has a solid solution to this right in the case where the majority of stake is is malicious and attacking the chain right you can slash that stake that's something that's not possible with um with proof of work systems so in proof of stake you can actually destroy the stake right Meaning that the actual, and, and, and if you want to try to repeat that attack, you can just repeat that counter infinitely, basically. Um, basically m making it so that you can't really attack the system in that, in that context. Like there's edge cases, right? But I can't, like the, the cost to attack becomes infinite at that point because it becomes circular, right? But the uh, the ability to slash requires some sort of execution on the chain, and if those majority stakers are just not going to execute that slash against themselves. No, this this would be a minority fork in that case, basically so slashing yeah, the balances so, of the attackers. This is very dramatic. Yeah. This is like nuclear option, right? Yeah. This is similar to Bitcoin switching its algorithm, right? Yeah. 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 But uh, back so to the proof work thing. Yeah, go ahead. There is no he Vosco doesn't say it's a certainty in any sense but his the economic rationalization is that fees will cause incentive for alternative hash rate to come online and overtake the malicious actor so it wouldn't be based on altruism it the theory is that it would be based, based on fee pressure which fee goes pressure? back to the argument of uh, because because model. of the because of the built-up transaction like in the yeah. in in the mempool, yeah okay, um, yeah because a yeah, lot of people want to no move certainty. it. There's no certainty to it. Even he says it might work, oh. might not. No, and I like if, if we saw something like this happen at scale, like we're all in new territory here, right? Um, be watching very closely, trying to learn. <laughs> Yeah. I think you know, we'd like to read because it has a lot of good information just in general about threat models and security. It's, sure. What did you book. say his name was again? Uh, Eric Voskel, and the book is Economics. All right, cool. I'll, I'll check it out. Sounds sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, but I do think like that's where proof of stake, I think, does have an advantage in terms of being able to slash stake. And obviously that's extreme, but it does solve for that you know, extreme scenario, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, we interviewed Eric a few weeks ago. Uh, Aeon, be curious to hear your take on Justin's criticism of Bitcoin's and Monero's governance model. I don't know, governance is 
tricky overall. I know Decred had like a pretty substantial governance model with the proof of work, proof of stake hybrid. And I mean, there was a point where the, they thought miners were, you know, just dumping the price. And so they all voted to just give miners less of the subsidy. So it just comes back to the problem I see in voting in traditional, you know, democratic societies where it's just majority minority is subservient to the majority. Justin, you have a, you have a response to that? Sure. I was the, the end of it just just broke off a bit. No, but but I will say stake is very different to how say democracies function. Democracies function with like one person, one vote. Um, you know, proof of stake based cryptocurrencies function with um, one person, one vote. So I think I think in that regard, actually, it's closer to how companies function or how decisions are made in companies because it's the equity that comes with um, you know uh, voting shares which which allows like that's how the governance process works and I think that's also how uh, cryptocurrencies um, at least proof of stake based cryptocurrencies should work as well and, I would say um, it's even worse because you have a consolidation of stake by the parties right, that right. have the most stake so right and 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 I, and I will agree with you halfway and, and that's that I that I think that and, and here's the irony of it all right like I know what good governance should look like at least according to, to how I view it. But then even if you implement it at current scale, it's not functional. Like none of this stuff is going to work at the current scale we're at with most cryptocurrencies or maybe even all of them, right? Is that it's just a farce, right? If you set up like a, a cryptocurrency and then you, you're, you're either controlling it through development or you're controlling it through the majority of stake or you have, you know, media influence and like these things are not decentralized, like truly, Bitcoin isn't truly decentralized. Ethereum isn't truly decentralized. And I'm sorry, Monero isn't either. These things only become truly decentralized at a much bigger scale. And before that, we can't fully rely upon these systems of governance, which is why it's good Monero has such a robust culture and social contract and, and, and all of these things around it. That's somewhat the dilemma, right? As, as you transition between different stages. So, you know, you, you implement on-chain governance now, you're still relying upon the good graces of, of, the, of the developers you trust and the, and, and the personalities, you know, you, you follow. It's also part of human nature, right? Um, and then it's only once we're at like a massive global scale that these things become um, resilient because a small cabal of stakeholders can't control it or because a small group of developers can have a very wide range of what they're capable of without opposition, right, without resistance. So, yeah, I think, I think that's what it comes down to. And I think there's countless examples of DAOs not functioning correctly. And I think that's just part of we're not at a sufficient scale where such a system can even really work. So... It's a, it's a bit of a chicken before the egg problem as well, which can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I also, I also kind of make a distinction between um, establishing consensus in terms of governance, just establishing consensus and maintaining consensus. And so in regards to Bitcoin, maintaining consensus is very good at doing that. But in regards to establishing consensus, no chain can do that in really an objective way. And so one of the main goals I feel of decentralization and security is maintaining consensus in a way that 
doesn't require governance. Yeah, I, I, I think without governance, I think inevitably you just end up controlled. That's the irony of it, right? If you try to limit, like governance is like the the mechanisms in place, they're meant to curtail the power of, um, you know, it's to curtail excessive power, right? So like that's that's why like governance is there to help preserve decentralization in in my view and in the example of Bitcoin I w- I would disagree with you there I think that they can establish consensus in Bitcoin they uh, you know they didn't increase the block size limit and very recently they implemented full RBF which is something that I think is extremely controversial if you're not familiar with RBF it allows for um, the double spending of unconfirmed transactions and it used to be optional during the block size debates they introduced that was extremely controversial and now they've just implemented a standard in, well, in, their, in their transactions you can still turn it off no but... it's 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 not in that if you run the Bitcoin core client then um, it will rec- it, all transactions it sends are RBF enabled, so they they basically made it not optional. That was you the change that happened a few months ago. Sorry, you can disable the flag to turn it off, but yeah, I mean, you, I suppose you could do that, but I I still I I, I just it's in the config file, but I think it's actually yeah. a good thing because having being able to do RBF allows you to boost fees on transactions that are potentially being censored. Yeah, by an attacker, it, and that's the only from really the perspective, right? Right, from the perspective of a congested network, and from wanting to be a store of value and not being a peer-to-peer electronic cash, I think it makes sense. But to me, it it really goes against what Bitcoin was meant to do, which is solve the double spend problem. So standardizing double spends into the protocol, I think, for me, really goes against, you know. Uh, but but besides the point, uh, what what you think about RBF? Um, it was put into the protocol, right? That was established. And I think, you know, you can at least see the controversy there. Yeah, I mean, I wanna... the double spend is solved by having a transaction in a block, not by trusting your transaction to be propagated by nodes. That's I, I somewhat, I, I somewhat disagree. I think, I, I think that if, you, if your network is not congested, then I think zero confirmation transactions are like sufficiently reliable for small for small transactions, which is very critical if you want to use use it like cash. And you know, back in the day, companies were built around this use case, right? Like BitPay was very prominent in terms of you know um, being like a payment processor in the middle, and they would take the the tiny loss of a double spend, right? Like the 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 likelihood of being double spend in that situation would still be lower than say the risk of fraud from credit cards. So, like I think the problem is a lot of engineers they. Um, they they think it a lot a lot of time in absolutes like oh no this is not a hundred percent secure, so then we shouldn't use it or shouldn't even develop around it. My view is really well no it's actually sufficiently secure for this very important use case and uh, and I think that that was really uh, thrown on the wayside uh, during that time period and, and to me at least RBF reflects that because it, it it kind of it comes in from like that other perspective right. But yeah, I, 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 you're, you're making all fair points, but I, I think it also it, it depends upon what you think Bitcoin should be, right? And 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 I can totally respect if you think that it shouldn't be what it was meant to be, so to speak, and it's something else today, and and that's what you want it to be, right? I can't argue against your opinion, right? But I felt I feel like from the perspective of what Bitcoin was originally meant to be, that original social contract, I think I think it runs counter to that.
Let's get, uh, I just want to get other people up that had questions. Ghost, what do you got? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me and uh, good talk so far. Uh, I wanted to say I totally disagree with Eric Voskell's um, concept that uh, proof of work is secure and, and other people on the call that have said you can add more energy. I'm absolutely certain that if a single entity did ever gain 80% control, that it's all over and it's not recoverable from because uh, the remaining entities can make no profit uh, while that single entity has control and miners are only in it for profit. If they have every single block they create reversed and uh, dropped, then they'll drop out. And far from people adding energy um, voluntarily, they won't. The, the mining base will just drop out. It's all over at that point. And in the Bitcoin case of the nuclear option, um, no one's actually saying it's going to happen. But it's hypothetically possible that it could happen, not because someone uh, sets up a lot of miners, but simply because 51% uh, of hash rate is in the US now, the country that has already confiscated everyone's gold in 1933. And they could hypothetically, only hypothetically, they could commandeer all the servers and gain uh, not 80%, but over 51% control. And they could choose to reverse blocks on a Tuesday and double spend on a Wednesday and do whatever they like with it. And frankly, it's all over. And all the Voyeur nodes that uh, Bitcoin has to its credit got thousands of couldn't do a thing about it. Um, but that isn't, as Justin well knows, the main problem with Bitcoin right now. It's that it's cutting its income to miners. And it has no mechanism to replace that income with fees. And uh, unlike BCH and uh, this sadly uh, centralized BSV, it cannot possibly replace with fees without killing the lightning use case for currency by making it too expensive for people to close channels. So I'm not really convinced Bitcoin has a, a long term. It'll have quite a long term, but inevitably it eventually gets to the point where it needs an, a tail emission like Monero, something around 0.8%, maybe the 0.75 that it gets to after the next halving. But if it goes below that, its security starts to drop the moment price doesn't double and price cannot double um, indefinitely because we get to more than the GDP of the world uh, pretty rapidly. It's, it's just not a credible scenario to go beyond, uh, as we know, uh, three times the price of gold by 2044. It's, it's just not feasible. And then a third point, Justin, if I just made one more point, the concept of centralization that no currency can survive if it has a creeping tend tendency towards centralization. Um, all the, you, you're correct on saying no, none is really fully decentralized until we're on a vastly bigger scale. But starting from today, any currency that trends towards centralization, as Bitcoin is doing uh, with the hash rate increasingly going to mega server farms, it will not survive long term it will centralize, it trends towards centralization, and that's caused by fees. If it's in a validator's interest to work at scale, with economies of scale, they will centralize. 
Well said, man. I, 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 I agree. And I appreciate you jumping on it. And so nice to hear your voice. I, uh, it's, I, I, I always see you commenting on, on a lot of my threads and, and like this, some, some Bitcoin maxi will say something really silly. And then you, you would be like, that's not a rebuttal. That's not an argument. I love it. As someone with a philosophy background, that just really gets me going. I really, I would just, thanks for all of that, you know, and really awesome to have you here on the, uh, on the Twitter spaces. Good stuff. Brett, I see, I see you giggling over there. Let's get you up here. What do you, what do you got to say? Oh, I just thought it was funny. I actually am in agreement with, uh, with both ghost and, and Justin here. Uh, my okay. question actually pertains to, to something else that, uh, that Justin brought up earlier. Um, one, just kind of a random note, cause I noticed you threw out the $60 per transaction figure for Bitcoin for scaling. And I was kind of curious how you actually, and not for scaling, but for maintaining security. And I was curious on how you came to that number. And then another one I wanted to, <clears throat> to peel back some layers on, on the slashing, but I want to let you answer the first one first. Sure. Great. Nice, nice chilling with you again. Um, hmm. So it's been a while since I did the calculation, so it's probably off a little bit. Uh, but basically, you look at like in order to maintain current security, right? Um, without the um, say inflation, right? Uh, how, how many? Um, uh, how much? Uh, how many transaction fees would you need? Right, and you can look at that because you know there's only so many transactions that fit in a single block, right? And and you know we know how much miners are being paid now, so you can just remove the uh, Coinbase reward and then see how high the fees need to be. Or you could factor in like how high, include the Coinbase reward from like 11 years ago, right? Um, and then and then basically you get your figure in terms of how, and that's assuming price stays the same, and that's assuming. Um, yeah, a, f a few other things, but basically, then you can get to a number of like how high do the transaction fees need to be for that to actually have the same security as it does today. And arguably, it has too much security today, right? You could make that argument, um, but you know, you have to make some uh, uh, trade-offs to come up with a single figure like that. <laughs> but that, that that's that's more or less the methodology that I came up with. No. When that's saying saying that it's secure it's overly secure now is basically saying that it's overpriced for its actual usage, right? That's that's what that infers. Uh, no, I don't think that's. Uh, well, yes, it's o overpriced in terms of its 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 cost to it. It's like there's I think there's a threshold somewhere where it becomes profitable to attack. So then you want to think of like scenarios of like okay, if I send fifty million dollars to an exchange. Um, you know, and how, how much, you know, mining power, you know, would I need to say double spend that transaction? And how much does that mining power cost? Can I triple my money if I, you know, if the mining power only cost me 10 million to 51% the network, right? That's the scenario you're talking to. So you can kind of use, you know, a scenario like that to kind of think about um, what the uh, cost to attack actually um, what the minimum cost to attack should be. Interesting. It's $71.75 is the current Coinbase mining reward per transaction. Uh, there you go. Then my estimate was under a bit. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you had mentioned some of the comparisons earlier between proof of stake and proof of uh, proof of work. And I, one thing that wasn't yeah. mentioned that I think is important is just the economies of scale that come into play, right? It, like as you accumulate more wealth to buy miners, you can do it yep. more cheaply than your competitors, right? So once you get to the upper upper echelon, there it becomes you're just straight up making more for your costs as opposed to someone just trying to plug into the network. Um, but that wasn't the, the, uh, the question I was really interested in was your thought on slashing versus alternative mechanisms for, for you know, uh, handling repercussions within a network. I know obviously Cardano, they, they rely on like the Nash principle. I know your, your personal opinion of Cardano, but are you aware of any other mechanisms that are out there besides strictly slashing uh, or just, um, you know, like the staple operators getting their, their um, supporters yeah. del not delegated to? Yeah, I, I, I do have mixed feelings um, about slashing. Quite strong mixed feelings, actually, because it is kind of, is that messing with property rights? You know, even though there is still another chain on the other hand where there uh, is, is preserved. You know, I'm almost tempted to say if that happens, it's just failed, right? Like if, if like a little bit like if Bitcoin gets attacked by an 80% hash rate, then it's just failed, right? I'm tempted to say the same thing for, for proof of stake and just, you know, have the belief that at scale it won't fail, just like how some might have the belief Bitcoin won't fail, right? Or you know, at least at least a belief based on some foundations and understanding at least. But yeah, that's uh, – so I, I don't know of any other way to solve uh, – is this the nothing at stake problem? Um, Yes. No, not yes. yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. It's somewhat the nothing at stake problem. I, I I never thought the nothing at stake problem was really a problem, personally. Um, but you know, I the the thing about slashing is that there's a there's a trade off there. It's uh, I'm conflicted about the idea of like some central party having a list of addresses of who they decide to like destroy their their coins. Like that sets a really dangerous precedent, right? So we might be better off just not having that at all. But, you know, keep in mind, this is only when the system has already failed, essentially, right? Um, and, you know, I, I so, 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 so that's where kind of that nuclear option, hey, if you're, if you're dead anyway, then you might as well do this and still be a lot better off and recover, right? And that also serves as a disincentive for the attack to happen in the first place, you know, like game theoretical sense. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I stand on slashing. But yeah, you can tell I've got some conflicting feelings on it. It's good to keep in mind this is only in like the most extreme scenario. Like when um, when like some people were talking about slashing with the recent OFAC stuff, uh, like that to me was madness, right? I was like, that's absolutely terrible. <laughs> like, you know. Um, but but that also brings up a good point. Actually, I wanted to mention this in regards to what Ghost uh, Band said earlier as well. Um, that that actually proof of work is more vulnerable to that type of OFAC censorship, though. Even though uh, obviously uh, blockchains are very resilient, because it just takes one block to go through in order for that censorship to be um, uh, to, to be routed around, right? That's why I always thought the OFAC thing with Ethereum was really a non-issue. Um, I think I veered off topic a little bit there. No, no, it gets good stuff, good stuff. I'm just going to chime in real quick. Um, anybody that's in this room, 
check out monerotopia.com. We have a Monero slash privacy tech conference coming up in May in Mexico City. And there will be a panel on proof of work versus proof of stake. Actually trying trying to maybe uh, cajole Justin into coming down there and sitting on the on the on the pad all <laughs> it above outside of this. It is it is a beautiful place. The Roma district of Mexico City. I'll see what I can do in, in conjoling him. Um, let's let's get Andy up here. I don't think you spoke yet, Andy, did you? I see you you wanted you had a question. I don't think we had you up here, did we? Yeah, but here's another. Uh, do you have any takes on BSV BCH? Oh yeah, I got lots of takes on on that. Um, so I, you know, like a good Bitcoiner, <laughs> at least from my perspective, I, I supported uh, BCH. I actually supported uh, Bitcoin X. Um, uh, sorry, uh, Bitcoin XP, um, uh, Bitcoin Classic, Bitcoin Unlimited. I helped actually uh, with some of the stuff around Bitcoin Unlimited, and later uh, was a supporter of Bitcoin Cash. Um, but I got out after, actually before the most recent split. So just to fill everyone in on the history, BCH split off from Bitcoin, um, BSV split off from BCH, and then, um, ah, what's it called? So that's how much it's not in my mind. Uh, 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 then eCash split off from BCH later down the line. And to me, this was just a massive example of a failure of governance. That's that's what like really informs my um, my theories today. Um, I wrote you know my my free stage theory on um, or free stage model on governance on Bitcoin governance, very much inspired and and like guided by this and like saying what the solution to this is. And that's where I also identified this this lack of long term incentive around miners and uh, also the the vulnerability of development teams just to become captured. I mean that recent split was uh, unbelievable. Like the the main developer ended up wanting to uh, tax part of the inflation and send it directly to a hard-coded address to himself. I thought that was ridiculous. And, you know, the BCH did a good job, community did a good job kind of kicking him out. And, and, and I really respect those guys. I really think that they really represent that, that vision, that original Bitcoin vision, and they're really doing something really important there. But, uh, you know, as a, as a critical thinker, as an investor, I, I, I see flaws of that, you know, and, and I've moved on and that I, I now really do look for proof of stake and Torrent completeness. So that means I'm not really, I don't really fit with BCH anymore in the way my, my thinking has evolved. So even so. if they fix the uh, governance concerns, the sort of structure you still don't believe is more scalable or uh, more of a competitor? No, it's, it's more scalable. It's far more scalable, right? BCH, Monero, uh, these things can scale to the moon, right? Um, no, no problem. Um, but I, as I said earlier, I, I just think Turing complete smart contracts should also be included in the layer one. And in order to do that, you need to do even more advanced scaling techniques, right? So, yeah, and that's that's. So, so for me, the issue was really more around proof of work, and that's why I've moved on myself from proof of work and and I, i'll tell you the specific reasoning for it right in my free stage theory on governance at least i believe the miners 
needed to um so 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 the way I see it is this three stages of decision making in a in Nakamoto consensus, right? You have at least in the way I view it should be, right? You have the uh, development team, so the client implementation, that's stage one, and you need multiple client implementations. Otherwise, it's just a one-party system. You you have a vote and you have one choice on the ballot, right? That doesn't that doesn't I can't. Uh, accept that, so to speak. So, so you have multiple client implementation. BCA just has that, right? And then the miners, the validators, right? They choose between uh, the different options, right? And then, and then they would like um, have like this emergence on like on like the best option, right? And then if that ends up being a bad option or ends up being a controversial decision one way or another, not even to their own fault, then there's a split, right? And then the split is like the third stage. That's the market. The market acts as like the third stage of governance where um, it's ultimately decided by the market, right? That's what determines which has the most value, right? And there's all sorts of edge cases in terms of exchanges and politics and all this stuff. But for me, it, it went wrong in two places. It, well... Actually, I think it also went wrong in terms of the miners are very mercantile in nature for the most part. Like most miners have like a five-year time horizon, right? Because you have electricity contracts, you have the limited lifespan of your equipment. And a lot of them have a very mercantile in nature and just want to get in and they want to get out and they want to make a profit. And so if on occasion you're faced with a choice, right? You're faced with a choice of... Um, do we like not rock the boat now, right? Uh, and, and then everything will be clear for the next five years or do we make a controversial decision that's actually more beneficial long-term, right? And I think their miners lack a good long-term incentive. And that's why in proof of stake, we have the ability to lock coins and that to me solves the long-term incentive problem. Let's just let Aeon quickly respond, and then I'll get Kiwi up here and Quinn, and then we'll we'll probably close it out after that. Go ahead, Aeon. I'll try and make it quick, but yeah, you know, the idea, like you're saying, BCH can scale like endlessly, and I think um, Ghost brought up like, oh, BCH has the the you know fee incentive thing covered. I don't see how either of those things are possible. I mean, BSV claimed the same thing about gigabyte blocks, and now exchanges are dropping you know they're no because they can't afford to run a node because nodes are you know 100 terabytes all right all right so sorry i i didn't address bsv if I, i'll just address then you can uh, well no you said bch no. and monero and they could all scale i mean block yeah. scaling is not a solution to to scale logarithmically. I, I believe it is i i really do believe it is and look in the case of bsv right, i've always been a how could, i've always how been someone a... run a node Right. Let me let me just explain. I'm, I've never supported BSV, okay? And I was there when they split off. And I've met Craig Wright on multiple occasions. He's actually quite charming in person. <laughs> but I still, um, yeah. Um, anyway, my my point is is that I've always been a moderate when it comes to this debate. So I disagreed with uh, with Bitcoin and it's one megabyte block size limit. And I thought that's just ridiculous. And I also disagree with BSV with it's like unbound block sizes or gigabyte blocks. I also think that's ridiculous because there are limits, right? In the universe and you have a fee market that, that can regulate that um, without a, a block size limit being hit, right? So um, if we really ask the question of what is sustainable, right? 
um, you know, Bitcoin Cash can scale today up to like, you know, 32 megabytes. Oh, it's 64 now. That's, that's like twice the capacity of PayPal. Right. And you're not going to get all of that demand. instant. You're not going to get all of that usage instantly. It's gradually over time. So what you need to do is you just need to be able to keep your capacity above demand. That doesn't mean we have gigabox, gigabyte blocks today. Right. And if we do hit a limit, that's unfortunate. And then the fee market kicks in like a real technical limit. Right. But we're talking about, you know, what a 10 year old laptop running optimized Bitcoin code can like you know, basically support the Visa network today. I don't think that that's too big. And I'm not against a bit of pruning and having separate archival nodes either in the grand scheme of things. And I also, I agree with the BSV guys on another thing as well. I don't think that people, individuals running nodes are as important in the system as a lot of people make it out to be. I think uh, what what matters more is the uh, distribution of, of mining power. And it's actually the nodes, the pool nodes, that um, that that things need to be optimized for from a scaling perspective. Yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond. That was yeah. Let's let, let's <laughs> let's let Aon quickly respond, and then Kiwi and Quinn. Yeah, I mean, you said you can't predict demand, and yeah, you can't predict demand. It could. That's kind of a problem where demand can kick up, and then what do you do? You just keep increasing the blocks, or do you let the fees rise? And... No, no, I mean, that's the thing. What's your opinion After on... technical limits, right? So it's like it's like you you let the demand fill up the blocks up to when you reach technical limits. I'm just saying the technical limits are actually really, um, really high right now. We can afford a lot of capacities on these blockchains. Do you consider block propagation attacks in that? Yeah, absolutely. Block propagation is actually really critical in, in so, that. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you make it yeah. sound like it's it's like no big deal, but there's a lot of nuance that I don't think people realize block propagation right. is one. So. Right, but the, but the pools are like communicating directly with each other, like through secondary networks in most cases, right? Then, and they're running compression over those blocks and they're having, you know, lightning fast communication, Not right? that I'm aware of. I know oh, there was a attempt okay. on Bitcoin to have like, you know, the secondary networks, but they just turned into, you know, another consensus no, no, that's, layer. That's, that actually... that's currently the case in Bitcoin. Um, I'm sure of that. Uh, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. That's currently. It's uh, Matt Corallo. Uh, his, his, yeah, that, that, his secondary network's on top. That's the defunct project. There's no one running it. The miners are still using it, right? No. Are they using a different network? Okay. Guess I'm not in the loop, but I'm sure they must be using a different network. Or for a time they were. I know that for a fact, right? So that's how you would, um, you know, uh, that that helps block propagation along a lot already, right? I mean, it just becomes another consensus layer because if you're compressing blocks, they need to be decompressed and they need to be propagated in some fashion that's different than the Bitcoin network's propagation. So. Right, but okay, but even using the Bitcoin's network pro propagation and you can easily scale uh, to really large blocks, like 64 megabytes is a massive amount of capacity, right? I'm not saying we can do gigabyte blocks, right? I agree with you, that's that's not sensible. But 64 megabytes is like enough to, to solve the security dilemma, right? It becomes sustainable based on economic activity and the amount of lives you change. I mean, so that many people actually using cryptocurrency as money, that's, that's what we should want. And if, and if that creates a, a kind of bottleneck that you can't run it on your Raspberry Pi and you need a 10-year-old laptop instead, I think that's fine. 
I don't think that that's really a problem. That the adoption will come just because there's big blocks. I mean, that's the route BCH is going okay. in adoption. Like, it's not getting yeah. more usage. It's less usage. Right, because it's because it's not winning. I because I, I, I think I think a lot of people thought that the market would route around Bitcoin towards Bitcoin Cash, right? People thought that, and I think what actually happened is the market routed around Bitcoin towards things like Ethereum, right? And Monero to a certain extent. Um, and others, right? But I, but, but I think that's that's what actually happened. Let's. Uh, right, let's I want get... to take up more time. Sorry. Yeah. Good, good, no, good great talk. Thank Justin. you. That was super yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that discussion. Thanks. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Aon. Thanks. Thanks for for doing that. Uh, Kiwi. Let's let's get you up here, and then Quinn. Hey guys. Um, yeah, pretty awesome discussion. Uh, I just. It, it, it always cracks me up. Well, you said before you like the philosophical side of, of uh, how things move. And um, I think what I find absolutely fascinating about the space is the fact that Bitcoin was built to be a massive step forward, a, a beta towards a system that will work and to set up something that people could work from for the future. And there is so much resistance to any change or building forward for a lot of people who are involved in those systems, which is why. I mean, that, that just frustrates the hell out of me that, we, you know, it was literally built to give us a way forward to show us how things could be done. And, and there's so many people, oh, you can't change this, you can't change that. And what you guys are discussing now and saying, well, you know, some of these things need to be changed and improved and, and better, thank God. Thank God it's nice to hear people talking about it and, and getting forward on that. So uh, philosophical view. Yeah, I love what you guys are talking about here. Um, I did hear you say before you weren't too keen on the Cardano thing. I think Red said you were. Um, you had a bit of a, a poor viewpoint on that by the sound of it. May I ask why in a brief overview? Sure, very brief, and it's and it's been a while. I I promised the Cardano community to wait for their next update before I did my next critique. I'm still waiting for that one, but um, I uh, so my my old critiques were based on a lot of the stuff around the UTXO model. Um, I just I just felt like I just don't feel like the UTXO model is a is a major advantage over. Um, account-based model uh, I think from a user experience it's more confusing and also it, it really it creates a bunch of problems in terms of uh, composability and, and interoperability so yeah which you know might be solved or are partially yeah. solved as far as I understand uh, my other issue was just oh, in terms of pacing doing. yeah my, yeah, my other I, critique I is really in terms of yeah, yeah, and, and my, my other issue with Cardano was really like, look, Cardano, is it predate Ethereum in terms of launch? It's very old. It's been around for a long time. Oh, and, you know, and I understand. Yeah, that's right. That's when that's when Ethereum launched, right? So, so it's been around for just as long as Ethereum. I mean, I don't think it's been in development for as long, to be fair. But I just think the pace of innovation, the pace of change is very slow. And it's part of what the, I understand that the Cardano community really sees this as like academic paced inf innovation, that, that therefore, you know, their work is more rigorous and um, it goes through this peer review process and, and, and all of these things, right? Um, but I just feel like as as an investor and, and as like a critical thinker and as as wanting cryptocurrencies to be competitive in this market, 
I, I just feel like Cardano development is really slow if you look at like what features does it have and what features does it not have. May and I, over time, may, that's been May I correct the thinking, may I correct sure. the thinking line there quickly? Please. Uh, sure. Yes, you are right. The, the initial development term and getting things up and running was very, very slow. However, what people missed about the way Cardano was building, they aren't building one feature at a time. They are parallel building several features simultaneously. So yes, the rollout times are separate. So you know they have that uh, six month to year gapping um, on on getting these features out. However, most of the features that we're seeing rolled out have been in in progress being built simultaneously beside the systems that were already being built. So the the stepping up of the the build out time is actually starting to increase like quite dramatically now that these systems are coming to fruition. Yeah, and I hope that's true because from what I understand so far about Cardano's design, I mentioned before all my checkboxes in terms of what I'm looking for. Um, Cardano actually has a lot of those. It's got it's planning to do on-chain governance, right? It's 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 planning to um, implement. It's 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 scaling roadmap is interesting to me. As far as I understand, I'm not 100% certain about it, but it's the way it scales through Hydra and the, and the Hydra hits um, because. I see this as a native implementation of of, of rollups. They're rollups essentially, aren't they? Um, um, actually, think think um, Hydra is essentially Lightning Network, but advanced even more. Uh, they, mm. They've taken the best features of several of that. It's a peer-to-peer -peer mm. overlay, mm. Um, but they also have the scalability for Cardano. Truly, comes from the sidechain model, which takes the the delegation of the primary chain and uses that as the security for the side yeah. chains that will be built yeah. to okay. And that's yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I'm interested in that sidechain model, right, actually, because I think that's what I was referring to. And the idea, it's because, and I mentioned this earlier, because the main validators, the main Cardano validators, are basically being put onto this randomized set uh, on different sidechains, right? In my eyes, that's monolithic scaling through execution sharding. I think that's effectively the same thing. I know there's there's a difference in like terminology here, but in terms of why I care about that monolithic approach to sharding, I think that actually achieves it, and that that is really exciting to me, uh, because that's 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 one of the things I'm really looking for in in a cryptocurrency, right? So um, I just I just think it's I just want to see more of it actually implemented <laughs> and it just well, cardano has doesn't have a great track record in terms of timelines and the, implementing things the sidechain model entered testnet a couple of weeks back they're expecting yeah. to have the first couple of sidechains active and working later this year so that'll be something you can look forward to doing a bit of investigation looking forward to that yeah i'm looking forward to that so so yeah that's that's my very very short summary of cardano <laughs> and well, the thing, some of the things i like and, and don't like about no, thank it. you very much it's actually yes a good point of view no i appreciate it thank you thank you all right let's uh let's quickly get quinn up here quinn go ahead thank you um so i'll just you know try to be quick here um first and foremost uh, I didn't think I was going to agree with uh, Justin on anything because I disagreed with a lot of what I heard when I first came in here. I came in late, but ironically, like, I cannot agree more about Cardano. I'm sorry to Kiwi and all the Cardano, you know, fans, Cult of Charles and all that, but let's be real. 
you know, as a layer one, there's better options. There's a lot of competitive options out there. It's Tezos, it's Algo. There's a lot of stuff. I'm not going to rehash. You guys just, you know, spent a lot of time there. People's eyes glaze over. But yeah, like if you like Cardano, it's fine. But you, you don't just like sell the room on Cardano just because you like it. I'll just put it that way. Anyway, um, my sort of comment slash question is more of a thing going back to the titular subject of Bitcoin. I see this, and I know this is like sort of the dirty, you know, like elephant in the room, but I'm going to say it. I am in this. I am in this space for like the money go up and the value prop. And so beyond like the practicality and you know the Web three of it all, which you know as we I think it's already been established, BTC is not really a Web three thing. It's more just like a, a store of value. When people like Ghost, I'm sure he's already you know giving you guys a spiel about you know his perspective that it's going to go down. You know this and that. I don't know that really matches up with reality because essentially we have a deflationary asset. I use the Rembrandt analogy, the analogy of like artwork. I know that, that has comparisons to NFTs and the art use case. I'm not trying to you know, stir up that whole thing, but basically if a deflationary asset that eventually is going to like stop being presented, stop being discovered, stop being produced, uh, just exists and already has a set amount of value and a floor. We don't know exactly what the floor is. It's been up and downs and very volatile. The whole market's been very volatile. But to say that it's going to go to zero when people have already bought up tons, have no, there are a bunch of people who plan on never selling or basically never selling. I just don't know that that makes sense. I understand that there are going to be a lot of you know, periods of volatility, it could go even further down than it already is right now. Certainly it's like on rebound, all markets on rebound. But to say that it's going to go to zero, because that's really what we're talking about, in part when we say it's going to fail. Other things are, you know, implicit in that, you know, uh, accusation or polemic, but basically it's that it's going to lose all its value. I just don't know what that messes up when it's a deflationary asset that a lot of people are going to hold forever. And eventually we're not going to okay. see anymore. And that's basically my, my comment. I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that. Well, first of all, I'm pretty sure I've never said that BTC will go to zero. <laughs> I believe it will lose its its dominance because it's, I just don't see it as being competitive, right? And in terms of it being a deflationary asset, I, I would put that into question based based on what I said earlier in this in, in the podcast as well that that its security model is not sustainable. So the only way that it remains secure is actually if it becomes inflationary and i think when that happens i i just can't see it competing against cryptocurrencies that are truly deflationary and are truly secure and that are you know have privacy features like monero you know um i i just don't see how that can like how can the worst cryptocurrency stay at number one forever that doesn't make any sense to me something <laughs> that is inflationary something with limited capacity I'm going to right. disagree with worst, but I appreciate it. Maybe, maybe maybe the simplest would be a better way of putting it, but fair enough. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I've noticed people get triggered when I say the worst. I, I, I think I mean worst by des like in terms of its design. Least um, nuanced, least complicated, simplest. You can just say it's the simplest. That, that is a true statement. Yeah. It's the simplest crypto out there, for sure. Yeah, but that that like that that's that that could that could be seen as a compliment, right? Depending on your perspective. But but I I, I, I you can't I do, do agree though. Like, <laughs> no, I can't. can't give it up. No, but but like like I like I agree with you. Like if I separately I can agree with you that that Bitcoin is the simplest design, and I think the simplest design didn't work. So now we have to add 
more complexity to it. And now that might not work and that fails. And then we have to add more complexity to design. And this is, this is how we might have to iterate. And this might take a few decades. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you for taking my question and comment. That was a pleasure. It was, it was a great question. Thank you. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Justin's been very generous with his time doing the interview and then sticking around for a long Q&A. Greatly appreciate it, man. Uh, lo Thank love you. Your, love your demeanor, man. You're, 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 you're very chill. You're very cool. Matter of fact, uh, you don't get emotional, which is something a lot of people lack in this space. So uh, appreciate that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, and thanks for inviting me. This was great. Yeah, man. It was, it was great having you. And hopefully uh, maybe we'll be chatting again soon sometime. And, and I'm, I'm honest about, you know, trying to cajole you into coming out of Mexico. I'll DM you <laughs> and see what I can do. All right. Thanks, uh, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. We do these Monero Talks once a week. Uh, and uh, just keep keep a lookout. You can follow Monero to, at Monero Talk and you'll be, you'll be notified when the next one will be. Uh, we do we record them live we let people ask questions at, at the end and then we post the interviews afterwards thank you guys cheers everybody have a good day hi everyone thank you Justin hi Monero Land thank you for joining us on this week's episode we release new episodes every week you can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube Odyssey iTunes Spotify Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts go to MoneroTalk.live for a full list of places where you can watch and listen if you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. And supporting us is easier than ever. By typing in MoneroTalk.crypto in your Monero.com or CakeWallet send address field to send us a tip. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to being back next week.